A good director creates an environment which gives the actor the encouragement to fly. Lights, camera and various actions thereupon, this is modern escapism. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Oodles, the director of this fine production. And joining me, as always, we have the gaffer. It's Candy. Oh, hello. <laughs> was expecting that to be me. To be here? <laughs> the director of photography. It's Gadget. Hello. The stunt coordinator. It's Stig. Hello. And catering assistant. It's Biggie. <laughs> hello. Cornish How pasties are, are over there. <laughs> all right, all right, Cornish pasties. <laughs> How are we all doing? Good. Oh, right. yeah. I don't care. We need to sell shit. Stig. Okay, okay. <laughs> God, you're a pushy director. Go. So, if you like what we do, we have a Patreon. If you head over to patreon.com forward slash modern escapism, on there you'll find the three tiers we do. For five pounds a month, the modern escapees will get you an extended edition of this episode every week as well as at least one monthly special and any other specials we are doing. Currently, we are on our Moon Knight spoiler cast run. Coming out once a week until that show's finished. If you are into Dungeons & Dragons for £5 a month, the Scorch Sheep tier is... Excellent. Fuck that. (laughs) The Scorch Sheep tier (laughs) will get you ad-free early access of our Dungeons & Dragons podcast as well as original artwork, music, battle maps, ca- character sheets, and anything put together for the show. And £7.50, the Biggie Bundle, that gets you everything. Subject to tea. And <laughs> cut! Excellent. Well done. Well done. Let's get on. Take, no, we, no, no. Okay. One and done. We're running out of reel. We're running out of reel. One and done. Let's get on with the next, as I want to know what the busiest man in the South has been up to this week. Biggie. Oh, fuck it hell. Straight into me. <laughs> okay, yeah, not a lot, I'm afraid. Um, literally, this is going to be so quick. I watched Death on the Nile with the wife. Um, yeah, it's, it's not as good as the last one, really. I, I quite not agree too. with... Uh, what Stiggy and I think Eulers, you commented on it last time as well, didn't you? It's yeah, it's actually a bit more, quite boring, to be honest. I liked uh, it. It's easy but- to get oh. going. I liked yeah. it, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's all loaded into the back at the end of the film. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. just Side really note on, odd. On it, who the fuck invites all those people on a honeymoon with them? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. So it's just two people, isn't it? Trip, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how um, Poirot seems to always be in the same place as his mate. You know, like they were <laughs> Egypt, and he's on the pyramid. And this is like, oh, Poirot! It's like, what, what are the odds? You know? It's he's just, a world yeah. fair in man. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I've seen, I've seen a couple of screenshots, especially from that bit with at the pyramids at the beginning, where the green screening on it looks dreadful. Oh, it, it is awful. Bad. It is really CGI bad. Is really bad. Really it reminds bad. me of those um, really early, completely CGI movies with actors in. You know, like that one, the, uh, the Skyrocket or something, or whatever it was called. Um, the... The, Neo yeah, War world, one. I, I can't remember. Yeah, Captain in the World Tomorrow or something. That's the one. 
Yeah. It really stands out like that. It, it's just, yeah, really poor. So um, I don't know why they bothered, to be perfectly honest. They should have just filmed somewhere on location, make it a little bit more naturalistic. But there you go. Uh, the only filmed other during, really during the pandemic, though, so they couldn't really. That's a fair, fair point. <laughs> um, all right. Um, but, yeah, um, because a friend of mine was talking about doing some retro gaming stuff through one of our group chats, um, he got me thinking about uh, getting involved in my Raspberry Pi. And I used it for my Vita docking system, which I obviously don't use at the moment. So I thought I'll change that and ended up just going on a little very quick journey down the um, route of retro gaming and found a really cool website called Arcade Punks, which is a hell of a lot more useful than one of the other punks that we know, and it's not Daft Punk. Um, and he is I a Daft just- Punk. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Um, but yeah, I just downloaded um, an image from there, whacked it onto my Raspberry Pi, and I have all the retro gaming needs that I need. Obviously, so all these games you own physically, Absolutely. don't you? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I thought um, so. as much. And thanks to Last Ginger for uh, putting that the up. Last me, Ginger? So yeah. Really, I don't uh, think he is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I managed to down that, like, download that, get that all up and running. It didn't take very long at all. Um, I think I think nice they're brilliant. Them little raspberry pies. I think they're fantastic. They're brilliant. They're so mm. good. And there's some there. Um, I'm only using like a 32 gig SD card. Yeah, getting your 16 bit like, stuff on it. Three terabytes. There's files <laughs> there. It's just. Can you imagine what that must hold? Just every gaming system <laughs> ever. Uh, and all the ROMs and all the stuff on there, and it's really cool. But yeah, yeah, really cool website. Do check it out if you're interested in that. Um, you can get everything you need there. It's if you cool. own it physically, let me just say again. <laughs> and, and it's because I do own lots of games. Um, but yeah, that is literally it for me. I've been so busy with work and my daughter's birthday. That's, so that's that fine, mate. You, you, you've been a busy guy. You're a good person, and we love you all for it. Gadget, what have you been up to? Uh, I have been continuing with Elden Ring. I'm so close to the end. So close, I can taste it. <laughs> I am not. Like, the, uh, the, I'm at the point now where I don't care about any kind of spoilers. I've seen enough of the ending bosses to know what's going on. Have you managed um, to see them? Did you just, like, when you were looking for advice and stuff, you just stumbled on yeah, them by yeah. accident? It's shit when yeah, it just kept, well, it's sort of. But when you get to that kind of point, like, I'm not really that bothered. Like, there's one boss that was a little bit of a surprise to me. Yeah, because obviously, as you go along, you pay attention to the character names and stuff like that. You know, I haven't fought this person yet. I'll probably fight him soon. Yeah, it's so obvious, isn't it? Yeah, there's one that was a surprise to me, which I'll admit I think is is a pretty cool idea. Um, But the it's basically the the game has now reached the point where it's funneling you down what feels like a a boss corridor. It's turned into Dark Souls three, hasn't it? Yeah, the last dungeon. (laughs) Fuck me, I hated it (laughs) so much. It's proper crap. It just did not need to be there. Like the, you, you could have like had like the bit that gets you to the last dungeon be the start of the boss run. That yes. would have been great. Yes. Didn't need it anyway. I'm still loving it. I reckon I've maybe got about two or three hours left in it, depending on how difficult these fights are going to be. Yeah. So um, yeah, hopefully next week I should have finished it. Yes. Uh, but aside from that, uh, I have been watching the new series of Space Force. Space Force, what's that? So Space Force is um, it's a Netflix sitcom. Mm-hmm. Uh, created by Greg Daniels, who created The Office. Now, now we're um, now you're talking my language. And starring Steve Carell. Whoa! Oh, so, I know what you mean. Okay. And okay. It, it, it basically the, it, it, the first season of it came out in um, right, 2020. Yeah. Uh, 
because I don't know if you all remember, but Donald Trump created Space Force in real life as in a militarized <laughs> branch of NASA. He did. For the aliens. So, it's Star Wars so the, for real. Yeah. So this TV show is kind of lampooning that idea. And like in the original in the first series, like they never mentioned Trump outright. They just refer to him as POTUS, but you know, they have to deal with his ridiculous and silly silly uh, proclamations and have to deal with like getting back to the moon for some inexplicable reason that they don't actually need to do it. Um, but uh, it's got a really stellar cast to it. So you've got Steve Carell as General Mark Ned, the four-star general who's leading Space Force. John Malkovich as the head scientist, Dr. Mallory. No way. Ben Schwartz as uh, F. Tony Scadapaducci, often referred to as Fuck Tony, uh, because he is the social media director and he's an incredibly annoying man. Mm-hmm. Um, Diana Silvers plays uh, Mark's daughter, Erin. Uh, Jimmy O. Yang is another one of the scientists, Dr. Chan. Um, and yeah, and you get uh, like kind of walk on parts by like Patrick Warburton, Daedric Bader, uh, Jane Lynch, Roy Wood Jr., people, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that, that Patrick Warburton. <laughs> Expertly mustachioed and playing a military general. I love it, mate. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the, the first season was a very kind of. It was very much a political satire, you know. It was taking the piss out of American politics at the time, yeah. uh, and it was and it was very funny. The second season's changed slightly because now that it's the new administration, it's not funny anymore. It's boring. <laughs> no, no, no. It still is funny, but they've done what they did with The Office, where the first season had a very distinct style of humor, which it didn't necessarily suit. This one's become more of a direct workplace comedy. Oh, I just meant the administration. A, <laughs> well, yeah, the administration. Um, but it's. Um, it's a little bit more surreal. The characters are a little bit more well thought out. Uh, a little bit stranger. Weird things goes on. At one point, like at one point, one of the episodes, they lose communications with the satellites, and when they finally get um, communication back with it, uh, a Windows update starts in the command center, and they still can't communicate with anything. I always wonder if anything <laughs> like that ever happened. <laughs> so you, you get um, uh, you get John Malkovich just stomp, stomping around the command center, going "fuck Microsoft" at the top of his voice, <laughs> which I think is brilliant. It. We've all said we it. We have many times. It's got a lot of heart to it. There's a lot of really sweet scenes in it. It has got a lot of the, like the more gentle humor from The Office. It doesn't have a lot of the cringe humor. It's not like outwardly cringy. It is more like a traditional sitcom. Yeah. Um. But I I really rate it. And the the first season kind of got a bit slated in in the American press. Uh. I, I think it, it had like a thirty eight percent rotten tomatoes. Because they're taking piss out of America. They don't like that. The sec the second season's got a ninety percent score. Oh wow! Like it's, it's as if they've like found their feet with the second season. It's That's what Daniel seems to do, though, doesn't he? He said, he, "Oh yeah, Greg Daniels he, always does." Like same with Parks and Recreation. Yeah, first season, first fucking season. terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose it is. And then he just gets into his own stride, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Um, and uh, even like even Steve Carell, he writes a couple of the episodes for the season. Um, he plays he plays Mark Nerd really well. There is a lot of uh, Michael Scott to him, but in a more oh, he's shit. a more respectable person. I've got to watch it now. Like, he's not, yeah, he's not as awkward as Michael Scott, but you can say like, he's got like the nicer bits of Michael Scott's character. Yeah, you know, when, when he, when, like when like yeah. Michael Scott's like genuinely nice to somebody, he's got a lot of that to him. Uh, to him. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, I really rate it. I think it's a re- I think it's a really good show. Um, there's, so there's two seasons of it. They're both on Netflix, like 17 episodes in total. Nice. You'll smash through them in an evening. It's yeah. really, really good and well worth watching. I'm gonna, mate. I'm absolutely gonna. I'm excited. Did you say now. that was a fourth season? 
It was two seasons. Seven I was going to say, yeah. I was gonna, how's there four seasons? Carol Vardaman <laughs> in the corner there going, huh, huh? Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, they have set the ending of season two up for a third season. So, um, and the third season looks like it's getting a bit of Armageddon, so that'll be fun. Oh, wow. Nice. T- t- tempt- tempted to see if they'll break Michael Bay out of the cupboard for that one. Oof. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let him out. Let him out. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely rate it. Well, uh, absolutely well worth watching. Cool, cool. Is that your week, pal? Uh, yeah, that's my week because at least it's mostly been Elden Ring or <laughs> Dune Messiah, which I'm struggling with Dune Messiah. I've read it before and I don't know why I'm struggling with it through it this time. It's because you know what's going to happen. I did not like it. I like Messiah, yeah, it's but... Kind of, uh, uh, well, I'm like two-thirds of the way through and I'm just like, oh, come on, just fucking finish. You know? <laughs> I like Messiah, but I've, I've, got bit, I've got a bit of a god complex myself, so it's, it's you know what I mean? Oh. It's fun to uh, yeah to read. Yeah, I guess it's uh, yeah. I guess I guess the, the issue I'm having with it, even like I, I, I remember reading it really quickly the first time I read it as a teenager. Yeah, and I'm reading it again now and just think, God, nothing fucking happens in this book. They just it stood around talking. It never does. Apart from the very all end. this fucking is, is it is it hate or is it Duncan Idaho bullshit? Just does my <laughs> fucking head in. Yeah. Oh God, these are really niche uh, ramblings as well because a lot of people didn't even get as far as Messiah. So. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you have to be really committed to understand this particular rambling. Yes, yes. Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah. Let's move on to Stick. Unfortunately, I've been a bit of a biggie this week. Been too busy. But you've, been done... playing with war... you've been playing with wallpaper engine. <laughs> God, God, no, I'm not that sad. It's so good. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I can't if you can see with it my video, animated see desktops and phone, it looks so good. <laughs> I do Mate, you have can, it. You can just make your own. I've got fucking Photoshop. They're all there. You don't need to make your own. They're all there, already done. Music, animations. <laughs> I even I even showed Gadget one originally, and it had a Blade Runner background. It was so cool. With animated. These rain, are all simple things that you can do yourself, stuff. though. I don't need to because it's already done. <laughs> Stop stepping yeah, on sticks' toes. <laughs> I do. I do actually have it. I'm gonna. I've just never delved into it for some reason. Check it out. Trust me. I we'll come do. back and apologise. Oh god. I will. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. I've still got the default wallpaper on my bloody desktop when I open the laptop up. <laughs> um, so what I did do this week, though, is um, one of the things I did do is watch. I watched the Boot Room Boys, yes. which was a BT Sports documentary. It played after the Liverpool Benfica Champions League game on Tuesday, and it's basically the story of how Bill Shankly took Liverpool, a struggling Liverpool side who'd been stuck in the second division for six years um, and basically oh, made them into an absolute juggernaut. Um, so it kind of tells a story of, of like I say, how, what Bill Shankly did, uh, how he changed the ethos of the club um, and how he instilled those values. So when he stepped down and passed it on to... Um, <coughs> I'm sorry, how he passed it on to Bob F- uh, Paisley and then Joe Fagan and so on and so on. Eventually now we got to Jurgen Klopp and how those kind of um, values of the club have kind of moved their way down into the club and how it, and basically how story about how Liverpool became a successful club. Um, so that was really good. Uh, not more to really say on that. It's it kind of, if you're a Liverpool fan, kind of know most of those that's stories anyway. A few of my mates, a few of my mates said it's a really nice documentary. Yeah, it is. It's got like talking heads from 
likes of Phil Thompson, Dalgleish, Roy cool. Evans, David Fairclough, Alan Kennedy, that that kind of Ian Rush, those kind of people. I watch any football documentary from any team. I just really like football documentaries. I've yeah, if, if you're into like your football documentaries or your, your autobiographies, and you're not just about oh, I only want to watch or read stuff about my own team, then it's definitely worth checking out. Because like I say if you're not a Liverpool fan, there might be some things in there that you've never heard about before. So, yeah, exactly. It's more exciting if you don't know the club. Yeah, so that was on BT Sports. Uh, if you've got, say, if you've got a Sky or BT subscription, you'll probably be able to get that on demand from them. Uh, Gadget, you going to watch that? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Almost fell asleep at the description of it. I'm sure it's a wonderful documentary if you like football, but fuck no. <laughs> on to something Biggie's going to fall asleep with. The only, the only thing I did this week was wrestling. It was WrestleMania weekend. It was. WrestleMania 38 took part over two nights at the AT&T Stadium in Dallas, which is the place I went to yeah. when I went to WrestleMania. It's a very impressive stadium. Like, absolutely huge. It's got like the... Huge, in it? It's got the biggest, like, screen in the world in, in an indoor stadium. It's absolutely massive in the centre above the where the, the ring yeah. or the, the football field would. It's it's honestly it's absolutely huge. Um, yeah, they did this over Saturday and Sunday. They obviously had the Hall of Fame the night before as well with the Undertaker. Like after he's retired, he officially did the Hall of Fame, and he's kind of that's him now, um, over and done with. And yeah, for a show which I had zero interest in, I always just kind of watch WrestleMania because it's WrestleMania, like. It's a tradition, isn't it? Even I watch it. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, Their the weekly shows are pretty shit. Like, even the mm. the Raw after WrestleMania is usually like one of the best Raws of the year because they go all out with surprises and stuff. And, and even that just felt, yeah. Eh. But yeah, I was actually really surprised with how much I enjoyed it. A couple of duff matches, you probably could have taken a few matches out and made it one night. But obviously, two nights now, they've kind of realized, oh, we can get double the amount of money. So yeah. why not? Because uh, people just pay for two tickets, don't they, and get hotels? Yeah. Well, yeah, all the packages. Like it's <clears throat> yeah, packages. Yeah, whatever it is. That, but yeah, if you're going to sell two two nights as well, you've got one night where you can sell it on some one thing, and the other night you can sell it on the other. If you're yeah. only going to can afford, it to makes go to sense one financially. Night. Yeah. So like the first one had the Miz and Logan Paul facing yeah. Rey Mysterio <laughs> and his son Dominic Mysterio, and. I gotta say, Logan Paul was outstanding. He's playing a bad fight. He was good, man. I know. No, I thought he was really, really good. (laughs) He was good. He's um, (coughs) he's an asshole. Flair for it, hasn't he? Isn't he? So he obviously played the bad guy. He rolled down and he's walking down the aisle. His his get up looked great. He was wearing a three million dollar Pokemon card around his neck. Yeah, just to. Charizard. So much, how much of a prick he is. <laughs> he did. Remember when he got that fake one, though? Yeah, but no, this one's a real one. He's done a, yeah, he's done no. a, he did Easy Heat as well. So if you want to get the crowd to boo you, you do Eddie Guerrero's moves, you do his frog splash, yep. you do his little shimmy yep. and everything. And he did that, but he nailed it perfectly. So I'm sorry to say, so as much of an asshole as he is, <laughs> he took to this like a duck to water. Thing is, like, it's like boxing. Wrestling, do you know what I mean? It's athletic, he's just isn't a he? he puts, it's just a natural athlete. Yeah, he, put, Dick, he puts but a natural um, athlete. A lot of effort into what he does. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's just a bell end. 
Um, so he's just a baddie. He's a baddie, but he's he's an athletic baddie. Yeah, I know this. I won't mean anything to anyone other than anyone who listens and likes wrestling. I know that we have do have a few listeners like that. But Cody Rhodes returned to WWE after yeah. six years away. After he set up AEW, he couldn't come to an agreement with his contract there, so he left. Did a massive return at WrestleMania, and they allowed him to keep his gimmick from the other company, which yeah, is which absolutely act- it's wild. That though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's massive when it comes to. Vince McMahon and WWE to allow someone to keep their what made them better and more well known outside of the company um, and that was huge and then we had Stone Cold Steve Austin had one last match yeah. 19 years later he wasn't very good though was he? no he was very slow he's <laughs> very slow yeah. and he was missing he was he, 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 dropping a lot and missing a lot but it's nice to see yeah it was good it was still i still really enjoyed it it basically they did a no holds barred match which means we can get through the limitations of what you can do by just having him hit the other person with weapons and throw them around and do exactly. that kind don't of stuff to, don't have to suplex anybody yeah the crowd loved it i really enjoyed <laughs> it it was really good but the the biggest surprise and the, the most fun i had on the second night johnny knoxville against sammy Zayn. In anything goes, match so good, and imagine Jackass in a WWE ring, and that's what you got. <laughs> okay, I might go and look that one. Up. That I would. Fun. No, it was really good, gadget. I would really recommend just watching that, just because it's so funny. The stuff they pulled out. Yeah. Uh, the. I, I, you, you say you're going to watch it, but I need to talk about it really, so I will spoil some of the moments. Um, yeah. It involved things like a table full of uh, mouse traps laid on top of it. It had tasers, it had pyro going off, had Wee Man coming out from under the ring and beating Sami Zayn up and then body slamming him, like picking him How up. How long do you think he was there him. for? Wee Man, I don't know. Just lo- All night? No, no, no. They, they get, there's the ways of getting him in and out somehow. Like When the crowd are watching and the lights go down and things like that, they have him yeah, scurrying. Yeah, runs off. I always wondered that whether there was like a trap door under scurrying. there or something. <laughs> but yeah, bowling ball to the nuts and... The oh. best moment is, do you remember the the hand from Jackass 3, I think? Yeah, it yeah the big one. The high yeah. five hand. Yeah. Oh, my favourite my favorite stunt they ever did. They never, you, could, you couldn't see it throughout the whole match. Never knew it was there. You would have known it was there if you were in the crowd. You're watching from home. You do not know it's there. At one moment, Sami Zayn just turns around and whack! That hand comes out <laughs> yeah. of nowhere and just whacks him. I was absolutely in hysterics watching this. It was the best thing of both nights. There's some people online like taking me, this isn't wrestling, this isn't that. Fuck that. It was I fun. I really enjoyed I it. I enjoyed it. I absolutely loved that match. It was so funny. And Sami Zayn is like, if you know the character, it's the perfect person to to do that stunt with, like that match. So yeah, that that was really good. Um, the rest of it was standard affair. It was, it was all right. But yeah, overall, really surprising. It's probably the best WrestleMania in the last several years. Which is, this is WrestleMania 38. Other than a, the odd match here and there, it's probably the best one since WrestleMania 30. So yeah, which is a big famous yeah, one. Which so some, talk some, like eight some lovely person now. has put the, has put that whole fight up onto YouTube. Yes, I would. Yeah, I would, oh, def- all there. I would recommend watching it. It's 15 minutes long, but it's really good fun. It's just jackass in a wrestling ring. Yeah, but yeah. WrestleMania is really the main thing I did this week. Excellent, mate. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Candy. I also did a biggie, but I'll uh, I'll try and stretch it out. 
Um, I love how it's become a big. That's what I did with the rest of the I was trying to stretch it out. <laughs> Talking about a lot of matches and people, you're all just like, what? Huh? <laughs> I just need to make the, make, 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 make the listeners aware. He's been working all week. He's not just <laughs> on the dole. Just sat he there. says he's been working all week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Working he's like wallpaper engines. <laughs> <laughs> that's his new business. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was that talented. Turning NFTs into wallpapers. Oh, God. <laughs> Not get into NFTs. Have I just made a multi-million dollar? Yeah, let's cut that bit out so no one steals it. <laughs> cut it out. Um, but I, want, I do want to say, so listening back last week, I think I was probably a little bit too tough on Tiny Tina. Um, I think probably <laughs> moaning about the broken multiplayer over... She's emailed you, hasn't she? Tiny Tina, yeah, at tinytina.com. <laughs> I think it sort of overshadows sort of my intent to express that just actually how much fun it is when it does work. Um, or when you're playing solo um, I think it's stabilised a little bit with multiplayer but it's still there's still problems um, most of the time we just can't chat to each other um, but the loot drops so just tick all my serotonin boxes as well when you get all that loot oh yeah <laughs> makes me feel all tingly <laughs> is it still the same colour scheme that we've, we know oh yeah if you've played Borderlands you know what you're in for um, I finished Bel Air and Severance both of those series finished this uh, this last week um, I spoke about a lot of people saying Severance is one of the best shows of the last five I years. I would probably agree. I can't remember a show that I've <coughs> wanted to binge quite that much, and it ends on a. It does end on a cliffhanger. Um, I think it has been yeah. renewed for another season, so um, we will get some answers. But yeah, both of them finished quite strong. Um, Bel Air as well. It, it stayed strong sort of throughout the season. Once you're used to what sort of a show it is, I think it's it's easier to enjoy it. Just um, it's it's hard. But try not to make comparisons to the the original Fresh Prince because it's it's not a comedy; it's a um, a sort of TV drama. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's... clips of like just with a lot of swearing and um, you know them using yeah. the N word and some things like oh, that. Oh yeah, like, oh wow! Like this is not you know they've not like toned mm. it down at, at all. Like no, it's definitely R rated. In fact, it gives a mm. yeah, it does the little warning um before it shows saying it obviously there's there's violence and swearing and um i saw a um i saw a twitter um like review of it saying calling it william shakespeare's the fresh prince of bel-air like how it's like a like a dark tragedy um i was like what <laughs> i feel like you'll be overselling it no matter yeah, how good it that's is that's not quite the comparison i'd make but i sort of understand where it's coming from but i've not even seen a trailer of it or anything it's um it's it's pretty it's pretty good once you once you know sort of what you're doing with it. Um, it's it's worth a watch yeah. if you can. Um, I also started. We crashed. I uh, got about two thirds of the first episode in, and I got letoed out of it. Um, you say it happens to the best of us. <laughs> I just I just can't. It, which is a shame because as Gadget said, it's it's a really interesting story, and I do want to know sort yeah. of. What exactly went down? But I can read about it without being letoed. I'll, I'll send you some podcasts that don't involve Jared Leto. Oh, perfect! He seems to—he seems to be Hollywood's little golden secret at the moment, doesn't he, Leto? And I don't get what he's done, what he's got on all these people to get into all these big roles. Something, isn't it? The fuck has he got on everyone? Mm, yes, watch this space. Um, but the main mm. thing I did—I watched a good old Netflix documentary called "Trust No One: The Hunt for the Crypto King." Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a title, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's a mouthful. Yeah, I thought it was just, yeah. Anyway, get past the title, it's fine. Um, so it it 
basically is the story of Jerry Cotton, who's a so-called um, like a crypto genius, um, and he founded the cryptocurrency trading platform called Quadriga. Um, and the way we're sort of introduced to the situation of what's going on, it's um, uh, the story of a crypto investor, um, a Canadian um, Chinese man called uh, Tong Zhu. And he'd taken out about 85 grand's worth of loans and managed to invest in Bitcoin whilst it was still only a few worth a few dollars. Um, and sure enough, wow. very quickly, Bitcoin exploded. And at its highest point, I think it was worth about 18, 18 grand in dollars. Um, so, Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, so this guy was just absolutely living the high life, multiple mortgages, luxury cars, boats, the whole lot, just absolutely living it up. And so in 2021, so this was obviously filmed quite recently because it, it all happened within the last six months, I would think. So um, yeah. in 2021, you all probably remember, China announced that it was banning everything sort of crypto related and yeah. Bitcoin absolutely crashed. So overnight, its value went from um, 18 grand or whatever it was at, at that point down to about 4,000. So uh, three three grand or something like that wasn't I it? I think so. So this it's grand. four grand in dollars. So yeah, I suppose it would depend yeah. on the day. But yeah, they're there or there. But anyway, it absolutely crashed. Um, so Tong, it turned it turned billionaires into millionaires. Yeah, the poor the poor souls. Poor poor bastards. <laughs> Take a moment, silence. But anyway, this guy he went from having <laughs> millions, as he said, to about four hundred grand overnight. Which you know, four hundred grand in a bank account, fine. But it's not the millions that yeah, he was it. used to. <laughs> yeah, I've never had that much. Um, I, I mentioned uh, that the Tong was Canadian, so when he decided, so what he had to do basically was would withdraw the remaining currency to his bank account or to cash, and um, rather than withdraw it um, from the trading platform that he was on, which would withdraw it uh, as American dollars um, of the bank, mm. w- the bank would have taken about a two percent commission to transfer it to Canadian dollars. Um, what he decided to do was to transfer his Bitcoin to this Quadriga um, sort of platform, which was a Canadian company as well, um, and withdraw it that way. So he started the withdrawal process, and after a few days, he'd heard nothing, no money, nothing at all. God, imagine. Bear in mind, this is his life savings, and this is literally all he's had left from what what remained of what he'd invested. And he's, you know, got the eighty five grand to pay back. He's got mortgages, this that, and the other. Um, so several weeks later, he'd heard nothing still. Um, and this post appears on the Quadriga uh, website from Jerry Cotton's wife, saying that he died suddenly um, and unexpectedly whilst he was in India on their uh, honeymoon, I think, um, due to complications of Crohn's disease. Um, but not only that, he he died with all the passwords to everything. So everything oh, sure. to do with that company <laughs> had died sort of with him. Oh, no. No one had access to anything, so no. Well, supposedly, no one could release these funds that people had um, asked for. Um, so inevitably, the internet sleuths got involved. So they got on the case because um, obviously the circumstances were sus. Um, so people's first thoughts, obviously, were that he'd faked his own death, and there appeared to be substantial evidence to uh, to back it up. Um, someone got hold of some uh, information that made it seem as though a load of money had been transferred from. Quadriga to a plastic surgeon in Bermuda. So people are like, you know, have, has he gone through loads of facial surgery so that he can't be recognised and just kind of go on <laughs> with everyone's money living the high life? Um, he also filed a will about 12 days before he died. Um, and then obviously the most obvious thing is that he was 30 years old. But 30-year-olds don't tend to just drop down dead, even if they do suffer from um, Crohn's disease. Um, 
if I go on a normally life threatening disease. But I mean, it's it's not very pleasant, but you you can live with it, and many people do. Um, yes. Yeah. But anyway, if if I go any kind of further with it, I'll end up spoiling it for the people that do want to watch it. But as always, there's kind of a, a hundred twists and turns, um, <laughs> as there normally is with a Netflix documentary. Um, but yeah, it's and cliffhangers, even though you're going to binge it. Off. Well, actually, this one is just the one episode, so it's like a sort of um, a feature length oh, movie good. rather than a uh, rather than an actual series. But yeah, it was fun. It, it filled up the afternoon, and it was interesting to see what had actually transpired. Um, but that was it for me this cool. week, this week. Well, another little short one. Fair enough, fair enough. Right, last but not least, me. Well, probably least. I watched um, Jimmy Savile, a British horror story <laughs> on Netflix. Um, this Have you recovered? Is a very, very, I've not finished it yet. It's a two-parter, three hours, basically, two-parter. Um, we all know the story. I'm not going to get into it. We all know the story. I just, I'm, I'm not using this as my main topic because as I said in the discard I don't want to put him on his cover art <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it's a really slick documentary um, I have a little bit of an issue with it the first episode that I've watched is proper glorifying him like it, it's, it's weird how the whole nation at that time, and I'm blaming my parents your parents our parents because it was their generation that accepted this behaviour. That man was telling everyone how bad he was from the get-go. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but he wasn't hiding very much mm. <laughs> at all. All, all these scenes, he was such a grabby bastard. And oh, it's awful, but it's a really slick documentary. Um, as, as it is a Netflix one as well. Um, really, really good um, archival footage, how he used to like cosy up to the royal family. And I didn't know this, but... He was the royal family's advisor for a very long time. Advisor, <laughs> Can you imagine what? just on public affairs. Can you imagine oh, that? God. Like Jimmy Savile's there going, Prince Charles, uh, Prince Andrew, I recommend you do these charities for the, these people. Children's hospitals, now then. Uh, you know Please don't I mean? do the impression. I'm going to cut you out if you keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was doing that, and it's like, it's like, what the fuck? Why, why, why were they listening to this man and. There's like loads of like secret like uh, letters that have been uncovered where they're all like, yeah, we know about your transgressions, but you've raised so much money for charity. Mm, that was but the yeah. trouble, wasn't it? It is really, it really is a horror to watch. Um, absolutely disgusting, but it's on, a really uh, slick documentary. Not when I obviously when I was on there, but uh, I think he went on um, the Canberra, my very first cruise ship. I think he did a, a trip on oh, there. I, I met something. him when I was three year old. I've mentioned that before, but imagine him being let loose no, on well, a cruise ship for that. two weeks at sea. <laughs> Fucking hell! They got an helicopter if, out. Um, Netflix do these documentaries. They always seem to coincide with some kind of other TV show coming out about the subject. Because there's it does, the reckoning it? is a Jimmy Savile four yeah. part series with Steve Coogan coming mm. out later this year. <laughs> I still can't bit. believe he took that on. Yeah. Or the BBC. It seemed, um, it's a bit. Anyway, movie, we'll get into it? that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've noticed this before, just like when there's been a film out or something. I'm pretty sure when yeah, the very, Spencer came out, there was a Princess that. Diana documentary dropped. Us, um, and the Diana yeah. musical. Yes, yeah, that's, that's that as well. But yeah, <laughs> I, they seem to do that, that quite a lot, don't they? I think they just. I have to wonder whether they're that, they're that asked about the actual subject and more bothered about, oh, this is going to be the talk of the moment because something else is coming out. Of course, that's what they're doing. Yeah. 
it's just not stupid. Yeah, it's it's like uh, what's what, what's that film production company that like you know um, some big science fiction blockbuster comes out and they'll do like a really oh, short asylum. 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 Yeah, mm-hmm. same principle. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, like I say, it's it's a tough watch, but it's really slickly produced and it's got some good talking heads and stuff. And what they do in this documentary is make people that met him in the past and they got it on camera watch that footage again and watching them cringe. Yeah. Like you let him get away with this. You, your fuckers are out. A lot of you guys are to blame, and it's yeah, it's it's harrowing, but it's it's, it's an eighteen as well, so it's not a nice mm. thing to talk about on a podcast. But I'm going to anyway. <laughs> the main thing I've done this week, and it's already been discussed, is I finished Horizon Forbidden West. That was quick. <sighs> it's oodles, man. Like this guy says, I haven't got a gaming backlog. That's because you've completed Elden Ring. And Horizon Forbidden West in just over a month. What's wrong with that? Everything. It's a week for each of them. We only started <laughs> in, um, Horizon on Monday. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. 27 hours. Boom. Done. I did have a week off, yeah, well, so. That's true. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Elden Ring took me two oh, weeks. Outside, so. smell some flowers. I've got a, a fever. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, um, I've got a lot to say about Horizon Forbidden West, but a lot of it's what Candy's already said. Um, the best way to say what I thought of the, the whole game is I binge-watched a lot of X-Files while playing this. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, <laughs> the story up. wasn't really grabbing me. <laughs> um, Like Candy said, it's a bit dull, isn't it? Yeah, especially like that whole, like I said, the, the kind of mid-game slump. Yeah, I think it gets better near the end. I, I, I like stop watching X Files, and then the, the near the end, I'm like, oh, I'm into this, I'm into this, and then it does obviously the. Guess what? There's going to be a sequel. Mm. Um, I, I kind of want to. Like, I had thoughts going into it. I, like, I was watching minor spoilers if you want, but it's not exactly bang on. These were just my predictions while I was playing it. I was watching X Files about aliens and stuff like that, <coughs> and then this plot in Horizon, Horizon Forbidden West. Started going towards aliens. I'm like, what? 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 What's happening here? And I won't tell any more about that because it's probably the most interesting aspect of the game. And it's it's really difficult to explain, really, without spoiling it. But it is hard. Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, because the the story is surprising <laughs> in a really boring way. Yeah. Like the idea yeah, is the good, but the execution <laughs> is shite. Crap. Sold. Yeah. Perfect. That's it. That's it. Like the the gameplay is fantastic. It's like Mon- Monster Hunter Light. It's like Monster Hunter Arcade. Like it's not methodical. It's easy. I never once struggled. I had it on the normal setting all the way through. I, I never felt like I was down on resource or anything mm. like that. And like the the you, you do side quests, but all you get is like different coloured clothes. Yeah. There's only like four different outfits in the game, and you know I like dressing my dolls up. So that that wasn't there was no real I, I did the, the like the Mass Effect style friendship quest you know to get full friendship with everybody because it's quite a bit of Mass Effect in this as well isn't there kind of um, yeah so people have been saying like you have a home base and stuff and you come back and chat to each other yeah the, no shagging the home base was actually quite cool I thought that was different from the original because um, you don't really yeah. have that kind of thing um, but... it was like the Big Brother house wasn't yeah. it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although that said, I didn't do a lot of the side quests. I, I had intended to finish it and come back and do them. Um, 
I just couldn't be asked. There, there wasn't good, anything that was making me <laughs> want to find out what happened with these people or make friends with other yeah. other tribes. I did I did every side quest in the game that wasn't collect a hundred of these. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I did all the main like story beat side quests were but it is quite fascinating how they've got every single NPC in this game to be voiced and fully animated and they all look incredible. The voice acting was a no highlight. Like, really oh, yeah, good. It's just it's just dull what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, really strong. I, I wanted it's, to love it as well and yeah. I just couldn't. I like the scenery is incredible when you go in the jungles. Like like in, in this full game, there's mountains, there's jungles, there's deserts, there's cityscapes. This it's it's so varied and massive, but I don't know. It it don't feel as it doesn't feel as cluttered as the first game. It seems a bit more condensed and tightly packed. The world's slightly bigger, but the boss the the monsters are bigger, so they need more room. Mm. But yeah, it's it's fun to play, but not really fun to like. I saw on YouTube like a, a I think it was twenty hour movie of the game. Like who the fuck wants to sit and watch that mm. shit? That's boring. That's the worst part of it. The gameplay is fantastic, but I give it a seven out of ten. But <sighs> I don't know if it's a bit of burnout on sort of massive um, open world RPGs type thing because no, that's my bread and butter, that mate. Yeah, and I, I exactly. <laughs> that's it's normally the kind of thing I love, but I think maybe we're so spoiled in this in that there's so many really really good open world RPGs. If anything's only slightly below par, just end up just hating it. Because I struggled to find yeah. what, it, what I can't really put my finger on what it was exactly that I ju- it just didn't it just didn't click with me. I think that it just there, be lack of charisma. It's quite hollow, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that, yeah, it's like a charisma's perfect way to say it. It's like Aloy's the main character, and she's she's not grown since the first game at all. She doesn't grow by the end. She's exactly the same. Just take a second, Aloy. For fuck's sake, listen to people. Do you know what I mean? It's, she's just so brash and goes out there and starts firing arrows. Mm. It's, I don't know. There's, there's something endearing about her as a main character, but there was one character in, in it that I liked most. It was, but it was that dull. I can't remember his name. Do you know what I mean? The guy with <laughs> yeah, one arm. Yeah, I thought you were going to say him. I really, I, re- I really liked him. The one arm bandit. I was like, one arm bandit. Why, why can't I play as him? Do you know what I mean? Mm. He's, he's, he's fun. But yeah, it's it's all right. And again, Silence the main baddie again. He's not my favourite main baddie. And there's lots of like alliance twists and turns and stuff. But yeah, it's just it's all right. It's a seven out of ten game. What I will say Maybe was good. The, the overarching story, uh, overarching story this time was much more prominent. Whereas last time it was a lot of tribes at war. There's less of that and more yeah. of the overall what's going on kind of thing, which I did yeah. enjoy. Because the whole world knows about everything yeah. now, doesn't it? That's that's the difference. They all know about they all know about these Bluetooth headsets that they keep wearing, the focuses. Do you know what I mean? They all they all know about all this, but yeah, it's it's hard. it's it's absolutely fine. But then again, that was coming off the back of Elden Ring, <laughs> which is one of the best games ever made. Uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah yeah. Buy it when it's cheap. Mm. That's my. Uh, that's probably That's what I'll do. I'll probably wait till I can get a cheap second-hand copy of it. If you if you like the gameplay of the first one, you'll like playing this. You will. It's, I, it's, I, easy, I, it's easy Monster Hunter. I, I, I enjoyed a lot of the first game. Uh, I never got around mm. to finishing it because it felt bloated. I, like, I got about it is. two-thirds of the way through and went, oh, not more. Fuck this off. game is shorter you know? than the first game. 
but, um, nearly half the length. Most of the complaints I've seen about it online is mostly being around like the story and the story presentation. I, I try and think back when. Well, why is anybody surprised? Because the story presentation in Killzone wasn't great either. Like the game, no, <laughs> no the game, the, the gameplay in Killzone was fine. You know, it was a really good shooter. But did anybody do you remember really don't the story? know how to do a narrative? I think they just don't. I don't, I don't think they do. They don't, do they? They don't. Kills I think, or, I think the narratives are the whole dark dystopia, the uh, the um, the faction Hellgas, uh, Ray Winston being in charge at one point, or whatever the characters. I, mean, I don't remember an awful lot about it, but they were just trying to make it like this, you know, Nazi type army. This corrupt. I mean, that's what they've been doing. But that's it. It's nothing new. It was when you new, when it? you've just said, I don't remember anything about it. And that, There's that, the problem. Yeah, well, that's, no, that, that, the that's game, what I mean. Like, like, the, 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 the gameplay was fine. The gameplay was fine. Was it's, but the, they don't they don't have mm. a good track record of doing engaging narratives, is what oh. I'm saying. Because even though the, the narrative yeah. of the first game isn't that engaging. No, no. There's a few surprises, but it's not huge, is it? No. There's no like, there's no like gob open mm. moments. Like, yeah. it's like for me, there's two different types of open world games you can create. You can create your Breath of the Wilds where you're creating your own story to it. It's quite a, there's, there's barely any narrative in Breath of the Wild, is there? Yeah. And then there's these big open world ones with dialogue choices and stuff like that. Some just, I don't know what it is. I think the balance is off on the horizon as a series. And I, I, stu- I still think Aloy has got a place as, as a, a great character out there. I just think she needs that one game to He's a better elevate her up. She needs a better writer. Yeah, if they went back to... I think she's, she's got it. Like you said last week, if, if they went back to Killzone and did it now, like in, as a Maybe shooter, the... but had a writer to create that backstory, to create a universe or whatever it is that you, makes you interested yeah. in actually doing the main player. Because, yeah, Killzone 2, the, the multiplayer is fantastic, but the single player, it was all right. It was nothing special. But, yeah, you, you need something. It's mad, though, because, like, Gorilla, their world building, their, their engine is yeah. oh, Decima is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. It's the most, again, apart from children. They can't do children, apart no. from BB in uh, Death Stranding. Now, they didn't do that, that though. That was, that was Kojima Productions, though. They just built the engine. Oh, is that? Ah, oh, right. That's true, yeah. They can't, the, the children in this are horrendous. I can't look at them. <laughs> <laughs> They're awful. There's, there's very little in this game, but I went, I went to a village once, and this, I, I had, I had me, uh, you know, me headset on that allows, like, 3D audio. Yeah. And um, my razor headset on, and hey, hey, turn around, and, and I turn around. This little fucking creature there, I'm like, oh god, get my bow out and shoot it. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the children in this are awful. Like by the end, I'm like, yeah, let's just wipe out the world, man. Get rid of these creatures. They're awful. But yeah, it's it's an alright. Like I say, seven out of ten. Again, buy it when it's cheap. Let's move on to something far more interesting. It's a gadget episode. Take it away. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a gadget episode, and we are pitching films to each other. So much like we did with the Dragon's Den episode last year, one of us has to has to tell the other four their film pitch, and we have to decide if it's going to get made or not. Was that last year? That was last year. That was last February. Jesus. Fuck. I know. Very long time ago. So. Who wants to go first? Because I know we normally do our own ones first, but I kind of want to let it sit in. I've got a shaking head from Biggie. Oodles has dropped his head out of the contention. Stig's uh, cracking oh, his knuckles. Oh. Mr. Comfort. Stig's ready. Stig it up, baby. I'm sure you guys want to go after me. Oh, oh, nice. oh, here we go. 
The Expendables so, Four. So, 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 so in, in in the true in the true far form, <laughs> the true <laughs> called it the true historic form of pitch meetings. So you got a movie for me? I do, but this is going to be this is going to be a little bit different. Oh, I'm ready for that. I, I, I like I like artistic. He spent stick. all week actually filming it. We're about to have a presentation <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> it's got his family involved, hasn't it? <laughs> right, I just need to put things in the right place. I can read. What on earth is he doing? He's got a screenplay. He's, he's got he's got a full PowerPoint. Yeah, comes in some storyboard. I mean, I've got I've got savings, mate, that I could invest if need be. It comes in. You can't make a film for thirty pence in a curly whirly. Right. Yeah, you magnum can. anus, did you say? Yes, it comes as magnum anus. <laughs> it's magnum That's the title of the show, surely. <laughs> it has to be at this point. Are we ready? Oh, God, oh. we've got a screen share and everything. My God. Hopefully, you know, let me know if you can hear the sound. Hopefully, you can. All right, let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Is it, is it, can you hear it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, can you hear it? Yeah. Yep. I can't hear it. Fine. Fine. That's not good. No, it's not because I need it. All right, I'm going to have to. <laughs> I'm going to put an outtakes video together for this episode. There we go, I can hear it now For that That's reason, I'm out And we can't hear it We can't hear it now Oh my god <laughs> <laughs> It all worked fine on my computer Right, I know why I know why Right I, Okay <laughs> Right, we alright now? Yeah yeah? Because as you can yeah, tell yeah. by the fifth time of playing this, this is brought to you by Universal Pictures. <laughs> oh, I have Paramount. <laughs> In association with modern escapism. <laughs> Although we haven't reached it yet. And introducing... <laughs> New studio developed in Hollywood. Oh my god. Stig Studios. <laughs> I think that says Stuidos. <laughs> so, when the tomb of the Egyptian deity Ptah is discovered, an ancient curse is released. Horror and devastation and death spread all over the globe. When? Every single statue across the world comes to life. <gasps> Look at these statues. Look how awful they are. Imagine these things coming to life and wreaking havoc on the world. This is going to be awful <laughs> for the for the uh, listeners, so I'm going to try to describe these to you. Are you really going to have to go to our YouTube channel for some of this? But we look at this. We have the Verity from the UK, 65-foot statue with a huge sword. The Blue Mustang is a massive devil horse in America. 279 foot statue of the motherland calls in Russia this huge woman with a massive sword it gets better a Genghis Khan statue at 130 foot tall the Guan Yu statue in China 197 foot tall uh, warrior statue the the death kiss imagine that thing coming to life and kissing you to death how awful would that be I'd love it the crying babe crawling babies from Prague absolute devil uh, nightmare fuel. They look like something from Silent Hill. I'm a man. And there's only one man that can save the day. We are in very serious yes. trouble. 
Sorry, didn't mean to scare you. Your odds are not so great, O'Connor. That's right. We're bringing back. Bad worse. Yeah, me too. Rick O'Connell. I think I'll kill you. Play out a little bit just for a bit of extra lovely Rick O'Connell moment. Let's go, Jonathan. Ladies and gentlemen, time for the Mummy Four. <laughs> the Curse of Patar. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> I think you don't say the P. Well, I am saying it now. Starring Brendan Fraser as Rick O'Connell. Rachel Vice is back because the last one was terrible. So we're bringing back the original. Rachel Vice is back as Evelyn. I've recruited Nicholas Holt to play Alex O'Connell because he's better actor than the guy who was playing the son before. And he's the right age. John Hanna's back as Jonathan. And Jinju Hunts. I can't pronounce his name properly. Jimon Honshu. He's going to play Tar. Daniel Brule as Lanzo Brower. Nadia Heike as Helena Straub. Odair Fares back as Aradeth Bay and David Harbour as Agent Glenn Tanner. This is your main cast for the Mummy 4. So we're going to get onto the plot. Set in 1952, a group of ex-Nazis who fled Europe have since taken new identities to, uh, to look and harness control the power of the ancient god Ptah. The opening takes place in Memphis at uh, where researchers Lanzo Brower and his assistant Helena Straub so recruiting him. So Ptah is an ancient Egyptian deity, a creator god of patron and craftsmen and architects. In the triad of Memphis, he is the husband of Sektmet and the father of Nef Nefertum. I wish I'd have practiced these names. <laughs> he is also regarded as the father of the sage Imhotep. So there's a bit of a link there to the, nice. to the other ones. The ancient Egyptian Egyptians were high, uh, highly skilled in art of in art and architecture and the masters of stoneworking and it was all under the guidance of the god Ptah. It is believed that as a self-proclaimed creator of all things, the Ptah's powers run through all creations and craftworks on earth and whenever art is made, a part of him is released into them. This is me making this up, by the way. <laughs> this part is me making it up for the film. Uh, seeing that um, what man has done to the world when he awakens all his creations and every statue, great and small, come to life and begin to attack the human race. This also includes ancient statues which reform and take their original form. So all those destroyed statues and crumbling statues reform and turn into huge statues. Now, has anybody noticed the glaring mistake I've made with this pitch yet? Yeah, I and I, I, yeah, you, you, you've put statues that were yes. built. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought of this concept before I decided to make it a mummy for, and then realised, and then I couldn't think of a way to get it round it. So what I'm doing with my phone, because the mummy takes place in an alternate world with Earth with, uh, with curses Denver and stuff. Horse. I can make any statue I want around the world. So there's going to be huge statues all over the world. Does that involve waxwork? Statue a bit, eh? Yes. Oh, can you imagine Madame Two Swords coming to life? Mm. Uh, oops, I've missed one in all my things here. So, Laszlo, he resurrects Patar and plans to steal his power using the chalice of Amun-Ra, which is also made up. The Nazis be <laughs> believe that they can harness and control his power by collecting and assembling three trinkets that complete his staff. The Anchor, which is life, the Gisette, which is stability, and the Was, which is dominion. Uh, where are we next? 
this film is going to involve locations such as Memphis, Egypt, Bamiyan in Afghanistan, and Chanchan in Peru. And that allows us to have big set pieces with the Buddhas of Bamiyan, huge 180-foot uh, statues, and they also the Chimu statues in Peru. Um, where are we next? So Alex is going to be kidnapped, and he's going to end up having a love interest with Helena. <laughs> Ardeth is going to get killed. He's going to sacrifice himself to save everyone else, which he was originally meant to do in The Mummy 1, but didn't. They decided to keep him alive, but this one we're going to kill him off. Uh, Brower Amta assemble the staff. Uh, Brower steals his power, and in doing so, he uh, basically turns all of the other Nazis that followed him, all the people that are still in hiding, into huge like super soldier style statues. Helena doesn't believe, doesn't like this. He's she obviously he told her something different. She she betrays him and frees Alex, and they have this big old fight with. The statues and Brower, who, as I've also neglected to mention, that when he took Ptah's uh, power, he also made Ptah mortal. And so him and Rick team up, and they have this big old fight with everyone, and then, yeah, they smash the chalice. Brower, Brower loses his powers. Tanner arrests him, and then Rick and your family return home. And that's the mummy. The Curse of Patar. Very rushed. <laughs> Absolute 10 out of 10 oh, for God. effort. That music was way too oh, loud. <laughs> so you might have to, you're going to have um, to do a bit of it. Edit in there, I think, Gadget. Two, two, two. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Two glaring emissions in there, but you, you mentioned the statue of one. The second one, um, the Nazis disbanded in 1945. Yes, but did you not uh, hear he, what I said at the he, start? He did, he did. No. Yeah, he said he said his, his notes they want to recreate the third Reich. Oh, I'm into it. I'm yeah. into it. I didn't say that. You on had here. me at those pictures at the beginning. I was wondering mm. for that. Yeah, I was um Yeah, and then I realised I've got oh the, I could do this as a mummy film, and then I realised oh the mummy was set in the twenties and then it was set in the forties. So but I really wanted to just do the mummy for. Yeah. Uh, Who would you have directing it? Uh Scott Derrickson. Who did Doctor Strange? Because he yes. do Intuition. action and horror. So. Big into it and globe globe trotting. Yeah. So yeah, I realised I rushed through that. I did write a lot of <coughs> notes, but like trying to control that spreadsheet as well as reading my notes. A for um, effort, in my opinion. It basically, yeah, we're gonna have a bit of a globe trotting away from Egypt, so you can have some set pieces with some huge statues. You know, fighter plane. It'll, you know. Planes against the huge statues, that kind of thing. The little Chan yeah, uh, Chan Chan statues—they're only like half feet, like seven like, foot tall, aren't they? Some of them are. Some of them are really small, about half the size of a human. So you could have a lot of those little ones attacking them and create like fun set pieces and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's yeah, called the it, Mummy Four. So what? Who is the Mummy? Is it Patar? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to play the exec. Anyway, he's a, for, yeah, for he's me, a, they're, they're resurrected. I like it. They find his tomb and they and uh, <laughs> he was it's a mummy. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> we can iron out the details later. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pitch, isn't it? It's not made. Oh, is it? I, I'm da- I'm, I would I would fund it just because we're already in the Renaissance as it is. We need more. We need more of them. So. Yeah, yeah, I like I'm, him. He's I, a nice I, I like that. It's a, it's a, it's a silly and fantastical enough idea. 
And I just love the idea of like the, 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 the amount of megalophobia we can trigger in people with these giant statues yeah. walking around wrecking shit. Easter Island Ed's just rolling around. See, I, I had the idea. I was like... Oh. No, Easter Island Ed's getting up as if like buried up to their necks no. and getting out the yeah, car. exactly. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> like... I had the idea of the statues. Oh yeah, little, statues. very little legs, giant heads. And I was like, that could really work. But then I was trying to figure out how to incorporate into this one. I thought it just, I think it would really work. And then at the, at, as you can see, it just, the plot there is just spiraling because I just kept adding on and adding on. And adding <laughs> what on. Imagine, <laughs> imagine though, like the Washington Monument just turned up to be a finger sticking out the earth and then it just became oh. this giant colossus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there's so like many, there's, there's a lot of ancient statues that obviously over time have kind of <clears throat> crumbled and... Back from the Denver horse. And, um... Yeah. <laughs> that is a nightmare-fueled <laughs> sculpture, though. Yeah, some, the of, some of them are. Yeah. Like, that, those the crawling children in, <clears throat> crawling babies in that Prague. fucking spider thing. Awful. What is that spider thing? Those Don't give me that. crawly things, no thanks. Yeah. So, unless... Well, that the, Yorkshire uh, sculpture park will get us. I couldn't figure out a way to bring them into the future. Or I could have... <laughs> I could have rebooted it. I could have rebooted it in modern day and done it. So that's and the Brandon option. There's an option to either, there's an option to either keep it in the fifties in the same kind of timeline or reboot it with them in the modern day so you could have those huge like the tallest statue in the world, by the way, is about five hundred and twenty foot tall. That's ridiculous. So yeah, imagine that coming to life. It's like, called the, the Blackpool Tower. Like Kaiju <laughs> level style statues stomping around on your cities. What was that first one? The one in Turkey was that two hundred and ninety-four foot? I saw or something like that. The uh, Turkey the, show, Russia, Russia. That huge yeah. thing. That that looked mental. Huge statue with a huge sword. Yeah. Do you know what though? When you say when, when you've pitched that, like in my head, we haven't had that 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 um, all-out Indiana Jones style the mummy romping ages, have we? Mm. We've got no, these we like we've got like these the rock ones where it's set in jungles and stuff like that, but it's not the same. No. Yeah, the same as like, these I, swashbucklers. I, I, I must apologise about some of my pronunciations of the foreign names there, but you nailed it, mate. Yeah, it was just uh, I wrote a lot more notes here, but then I was just kind of trying to trying to do that, trying to do that after all the fuck ups with the start. I was like, oh no, I don't know where I am. <laughs> but you got so much basic, echo. I don't even premise. laugh halfway through it because I was <laughs> laughing nine hundred times on the echo. I can't hear an echo from any of you, so not too bad. Yeah, I, no, no, it's it's gone now. Basically, I think what you were doing is the way you were sharing your screen. You were also sharing our sound back to us. Oh right. Okay, what's well, on you sharing the other screen? Oh. Yeah, anyway, that's me. Mummy four, the curse of Patar, if that's how you... Yeah, awesome. it is Patar, I'm pretty sure it is because I put it into Google. It is Patar, I just yeah. I Googled it, so yeah. I'm sorry for yeah. correcting you. Um it, yeah, the chalice of Amun Ra I just made that up. <laughs> 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 oh, it's yeah. a working title. Right. Okay, who wants to follow that one? Because that was a good pitch that I like that a lot. You gadget. Me? You. Fine. Well, we can go from the ridiculous to the sublime now because this is quite the opposite kind of film that I'm going to pitch. Oscar bait. No, not Oscar bait. Um, Paul. But just <laughs> no, no. You're obsessed with porn boy. Um, no, it's it's more that whereas Stig has gone for absolute gigantic spectacle, oh. I've gone for something smaller. Oh. So my so my film is going to be um, distributed by A24. Oh. Ooh. On a budget of about 50 million, it's going to be a small scale, big ideas kind of film. And it's called In the Shadow of Ancients. The director I'm going to have attached to this one's Alex Garland. Mm-mm. The director of photography is uh, Wally Feister, Feister uh, the guy who does all of Christopher Nolan f- films. 
um, and the soundtrack to be composed by Johnny Greenwood. In all the right notes so far. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into uh, it. I've got five principal characters um, that I'll highlight. Be, there would be more characters in the film, but basically I just haven't detailed them because what I've got is an overview of everything. So in the in the lead role, Aziara is uh, Anna Diarmas. Yes. Um, playing Noah um, is uh, Oscar Isaac. Uh, playing Alexia is Florence Pugh. Uh, playing Matriarch Taltest is Kathy Bates. And playing Althea is Jennifer Hale. Ooh. Very yes. good. Meryl. So, so we open... Uh, uh, by the way, I promise, you'll find some similarities to something we've talked about tonight. I promise it was not the inspiration for this, but when I read it back, I was like, shit, that sounds a bit like it. Um, but just <laughs> bear with it. All right? <laughs> we open on wide open plains. There's a j- large jagged mountain in the distance. A herd of strange-looking animals. Think buffalo, but with extra legs and horns are stampeding. Camera comes down on a young woman who stands in the field, in the path of these creatures, wearing tribal-style clothes. She steals herself and pulls a small jar from a pouch on her waist. She readies to throw it before she hears a shout of Yara, and a man tackles her and pulls her away just before the stampede hits her. The jar lands on the ground and cracks, causing a plume of smoke to emerge. One of the beasts inhales it and collapses to the ground, asleep, while the rest of the herd runs away. The man gets up, he's older, he's bearded, he scolds her for her recklessness. She tries to argue back that she knew what she was doing and if only she could perfect the formula, she could make hunting safer for the tribe. He tells her that she needs to stop with witchcraft, that the gods will take her from from him like they took her mother. The pair return to their small town. Think of a post-post-apocalypse kind of thing going on here. Mm. So lots of wooden huts and kind of mud-built buildings, uh, lots of houses and kind of communal areas, and people working together for the common good. And it seems relatively peaceful. The people are very pious, making offerings to a statue of a woman in the middle of the town, outside the central temple. Matriarch Taltest scolds Iara in front of the tribe for her behaviour, telling her to stop wasting her time with alchemy and tinkering with tools, and she's not pulling her weight for the tribe. She warns that the constant chasing of technology and alchemy will displease the gods and lead to the tribe's downfall, causing people to look on displeased with her. And Taltest warns her father, Noah, that her behaviour won't be tolerated and he would be punished too. Later, Iara is sitting alone looking up at the stars. And for any eagle-eyed viewers, they'd see the stars don't look like the ones we see on Earth. She's interrupted from her thoughts by her friend Alexia, who encourages her to keep making things, that her gadgets and gizmos help the tribe and that Taltest is an old fool. She points out that if she keeps working on the water-collecting gizmo she keeps talking about, then she can really help, irrigate, help the tribe to irrigate crops and famines won't be so common. Iara laments the way traditions are adhered to so strongly, saying that she knows that Toltest will order her irrigation device to be destroyed if she ever finishes it, and, cl- and claim it's an affront to I and the, tr- and the tribe's way of life, no matter how useful it is. Alexia counters that traditions are important, but even Toltest cannot stand in the way of something so useful to the tribe, and, in- and she definitely can't stand in the way of progress. Iara looks out to a mountain, the jagged mountain in the distance. She asks Alexia if she wants to try climbing it soon. Alexia looks worried and reminds that the last person to try and climb the mountain never returned, not to mention that it is forbidden. Iara remains unperturbed by this. As time goes on, within the town, the uh, disquiet starts to fester. The harvests are down, there is a start of the famine, and the populace are blaming the gods, and by proxy, Toltest. She counters back that they are of poor faith, and that by questioning the gods, they themselves bring their own ruin. She tells them the words of the great eye told of times of conservation, times of prosperity, and times of pain. It mollifies people for a little while, but Noah is worried. We cut a little, we're going to jump a little bit ahead in the story here. We cut to Iara and Alexia reaching the mountain. 
Iara having convinced her to go, finally, they start their journey up the mountain. Back at the village, tensions continue to build, and the matriarch tries to institute stricter control, causing people to start to try and rebel. She seals herself away in the temple and instructs her honor god to control it with strength, resulting in violence. Back at the mountain, Iara and Alexia climb. Iara tries to hammer a hook into the stone, but it bends and won't go in. When she pulls the damaged hook away, the rock crumbles down and below and left behind is shiny and silver. She hits it with a hammer and it makes a hollow thudding sound. As she's telling, explaining this to Alexia, the wind starts to whip up and the weather turns. Alexia suggests they turn back, but Iara loses her grip and falls, crashing through rock and disappearing into the darkness. In the village, things have gotten worse. Taltus guards have forced people back to their homes, patrolling and attacking people who are seen in the open. Nora is trying to keep people from fighting during a secret meeting, but people are convinced that Taltus has forsaken them in the eyes of the gods. Alexia bursts in and tells Noah that Iara fell whilst climbing the mountain and is missing. Noah immediately manages to convince some friends to follow him to the mountain to look for her. This gets back to Taltus and she warns Noah and his friends that if they step foot on the mountain, they will be banished and cast out along with all of their descendants. Noah tells her to fuck off and that his daughter is more important. Iara wakes up in darkness with a cough. She gets up screaming in pain as her arm is badly broken. She tries to move around, bumping into a wall that feels metal. She feels something smooth which lights up with unfamiliar text. She recalls from horror. She, she recoils in horror from it. And she looks at it again and just tab, tab, uh, dabs a finger on it. And the room lights up and the, uh, a door slides open. She looks around the cor- as the corridors around her lights up. Metal bulkheads, pale blue light. She starts to explore around, finding empty rooms, lots of which are destroyed. But she finds remnants of people's lives. Pictures of people who look like her in unfamiliar clothes and strange places. She walks into a cavernous room filled with tubes as far as the eye can see. She wipes the frost off one to see a person inside. Horrified, she runs, but she's hopelessly lost. She ends up in a room filled with beds. A strange female voice talks to her, asks if she can help. Iara is scared and asks if this is one of the gods or is it I speaking. The voice says she is Althea, the premier AI of the Everspace Colonial Agency. Althea tells her she's in the medical bay and if she, needs, uh, she places her arm on the table, she can heal her injury. Iara reluctantly agrees as she watches, amazed as a pair of small robot arms swish over her broken arm, refuse the bone, leaving her pain free. Althea guides Iara through the facility, which she explains is a colony ship named Seed, sent from a place called Earth thousands of years or so earlier. Due to sabotage from the Earth purity terrorists, the ship crash-landed rather than entering orbit as intended. As per protocol, Althea had awakened a handful of crew to establish a local base, but none of them returned. Until she had confirmation the planet was habitable, she was not willing to wake up any more of the complement of people. Noah and his group reach the base of the mountain, pursued by Taltus and her retinue. Being told that touching the mountain is blasphemy, Noah starts to climb and Taltus tells her men to get him. Noah's friends tell him to go look for Lara, they'll hold them off, and Noah starts to head up the mountain. Iara learns more about the technology of Earth. The planet was poisoned by centuries of human progress, and the planet was effectively evacuated with colony ships heading to hundreds of planets across the galaxy. Seed was to be the first and the biggest, holding some 100,000 souls to be released over the space of five years as a colony was set up. Althea shows her the terraforming technology and then shows her the stores of food and suspended animation. Althea detects people climbing the mountain and Yara sees her father. He's being chased by uh, Taltus goons. Althea opens a door and Lara pulls him in. They are reunited and Yara tells him of what, what she's learned. 
They wait for Toltis and her goons to leave and then follow back down to the village, explaining what they've found and that they are born of the stars and that it's not because the gods exist, but because of a people more advanced than them who came to this planet to build a better life. Iara brings evidence, but Toltis disregards it, calling them heathens. Tells her to execute him, but they don't listen to her. They listen to Iara. Noah confronts Toltis, demands to know why the mountain was forbidden, why it was blasphemous. Toltis is forced to confess that she is born of the earth purity figures who survived the crash. They find evidence in her private chambers of the line of propaganda that used to keep people of learning the truth of their origin, of learning of space travel. If they couldn't have the Earth, and only the Earth, this people would be kept ignorant of the stars and not know of the technology hidden in the mountain. Or rather, the ship. The secret of the colony ship was worth killing for, and anyone who ventured into the mountain were killed at her, at her and her ancestors' orders. The people are enraged that they've had to suffer famine and hardship when there is technology to farm and stores of food so close to them. There are 100,000 people in a state of undeath who have missed centuries because of her and her ancestors' selfishness and pettiness, and she is ejected from the village. Iara and Noah return to the Seed and ask for Althea's help. After helping to repair some systems and redirecting power around the Seed, Althea starts to wake up crew members and they are introduced to each other. We cut forward five years, the village still exists as it was, but around it there is industrialised agriculture, machines helping people work. The famine is over, the population has increased. And Iara sets up the water collection device Alexia had mentioned before, only for Alexia to interrupt her and ask why she isn't working with the new technology. And she says sometimes the old ways are best, especially when they can be enjoyed alongside the new things. Fucking spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted a film, bitch. Oh, lovely. Um, it was the plot to Horizon Forbidden West, but you've not played it, so you can't have plagiarised it. <laughs> Well done, mate. That was epic. That is an absolute epic. Yeah. I was getting Patrick Ness yeah. vibes as well. It's a little bit knife of never letting yes. go. I was getting, I was yeah, getting this is the... um, some, some Westworld vibes as well in a weird way. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. In a very... This is why I was saying in our kind of private chat, I, like, I think I might have actually accidentally found my new book doing it this. It sounds like <laughs> it. I'm invested. I mean, I know ending now. <laughs> you fucking spoiled the current. you going to have to change it, no... Jesus. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a rise on Forbidden West, that, mate. <laughs> Is it? Shit. <laughs> yeah, you, you might get sued by Guerrilla Games. But again, you've not played it, so you can't plagiarise that. That's, um, uh, that's good. It, it, it was, it was when, I, when I was starting talking about the tribal stuff and then getting into technology, I thought, oh shit, this is the, this is the first Horizon game. What, what did you call well, it again? Uh, it's called In the Shadow of Ancients. Mm. That or the Mummy 4. Mm. <laughs> it exist in the same world. <laughs> It's not a competition. No, I, I, I do like it because it, it gave me Planet of the Apes vibes as well. Um, yeah. Original ones, the Charlton Heston. You maniacs! I mean, it's slightly communist as well. You know, it's trying to... You know, it's an element of that. Getting over oppression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good, for the good of everybody. Mm. That was great. Mm. I like, enjoyed that. Mm. I've definitely watched that. I mean, I've seen it good so far. I've watched it now. <laughs> Shit, and you said now, big, ain't it? Because you've done a paragraph. <laughs> All the way through that, when Stig did his, and Gadget did his biggest face, it's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, so that, that was my pitch. Um, we'll move on to, I tell you, we'll leave Biggie till last so he's got time to finish his homework on the bus to school. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm um, done, but yeah, I don't know where it's going to go, but go on. Oodles, what have you got? Um, not as verbose and grand as you two, but something... <laughs> I want I want to I want to watch. This is called The Bastard 66. Um, oh. Brackets, parentheses, or whatever. Comma, The Battle for Gods and Country. Directed 
by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, God. A stylistic historical black comedy slash drama epic about the rise of William the Bastard and his campaign to take what was promised him by God. Unbeknownst to William, two other men were promised the throne of England before the death of King Edward the Confessor. Hadrada, the Norse Viking king, was promised a throne by the last Viking king of England, and Harold Godwinson, the rightful heir to the throne and last of the Anglo-Saxons. Will these hurdles stop William the Bastard in his tracks to becoming the legendary William the Conqueror? Or not? That's the pitch. So, it's Battle of Hastings, guys. Fucking hell, come on. (laughs) (coughs) I'm just wondering who Samuel L. Jackson's going to play in this. Get ready. (laughs) (laughs) So, William the Bastard, played by Michael Fassbender. Come on. I can see that. His wife, Matilda of Flanders, played by Margot Robbie. Come on. Naturally. Tarantino loves her Yeah, exactly. King Harold Godwinson, played by Tim Tim Roth. Um, his wife, Queen Edith, played by Uma Thurman. <laughs> All right. Hadrada, the Viking King of Norway, played by Mads Mikkelsen. Yes, I'm His in. wife, his <laughs> wife, Tora Torberg's daughter, played by Margaret Qualley. Yeah. Your Viking of the Berserker, played by Brad Pitt, the emissary of Had- Hadrada. King Edward the Confessor, the Dying King, played by Walton Goggins. And playing the Pope, Alexander II. <laughs> Is Christoph Waltz, the Pope that sparked the imagination into William, telling him it is the God's will that he should become the King of England. Runtime, approximately four hours and five minutes. <laughs> yep, standard. Supporting cast, Stellan Skarsgård as the Viking seer, Jamie Foxx as the Ghanaian partridge, a deadly warrior, which is a, a, an accurate historical figure. Michael Madsen as Chaplain Bill Stone. Austin Butler as the town crier of Stamford Bridge. Michael J. Fox as the Archbishop of Canterbury. And Samuel L. Jackson as Sir Gideon of Hastings. Budget of $100 billion. (laughs) (laughs) Production company, Columbia Pictures. That's about all I've got. I just think it's Mint the Bastard 66. It's one of those those historical films with, like, hip-hop in it. (laughs) (laughs) Sold again. You know where I'm going. You know, you know where I'm yeah. going with it. It's just, it's, yeah, the, the idea of Samuel Jackson's Gideon Hastings walk around calling everyone motherfuckers. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, motherfucker. How That's many characters exactly. are going to get their bare feet out? All of them, because they don't wear shoes back then. They're Anglo-Saxons. I think they did. Well, sandals. They did. <laughs> you see the toes. I just think it'd be good. Like William the Bastard all the way through. We all know at the end it becomes William the Conqueror. He wins, but it's a Tarantino film. It might not. We've I seen, to we've see seen Tarantino uh, doing a historical epic as a well, he, sequel. He, was William the did, Conqueror did, the guy? Glorious that... bastard. He did. Was William the Conqueror that that exploded when at his own funeral? Because that no. could be a good ending. Maybe I don't know. I didn't get that. Oh, sorry, did you explain um... the, your ending? So I think yeah. I think it was William the Conqueror. He um... well, obviously, um, it was. Harold Godwinson that got the arrow to the eye, didn't he? In the Battle of Hastings. I'm changing it around. I hope I'm not related. William the Bastard gets an arrow in the eye and he pulls it out. And you've got an eye patch and it's cool. <laughs> and yeah, he becomes, he's got to become William the Conqueror because it's cool, isn't it? 
It's going to yeah, be apparently s- William the Co- William the Conqueror exploded. Mm. Well, there we go. That's that's the credits, the end credits. It just explodes. So yeah, oh, so I'll add to this. Um, so he just he he had he treated his people very very badly, and he was at yeah. literal war with his son. So when he died, no one really did anything about it. Some some yeah. night, I think, um, took his body about seventy odd miles in the middle of the summer, transported mm-hmm. it back, and they had a funeral. And sure enough, his body was in pretty bad condition at that point, and they yeah. couldn't get him into the coffin. So they were just trying to smush well, it down. That's one of the scenes. And then he exploded. I'm, Apparently, it's awful. I'm getting you on board. I'm getting you on board to to direct that scene for me. Yes. But the thing is, it's it's got we've got France, we've got England, we've got Norway. It's gonna be good. Four hours, guys. It's gonna be incredible. That's that's my opinion. It'll be really interesting to see him see Tarantino handle um, historical dialogue. Well, it, obviously he did. He did, did like like um, slave era America, didn't he, and stuff like that, and the and the and the frontier. It did not sound like slave era. America. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like this is not going to sound like that either. They're all going to have American accents. Yeah, and but stuff. then you and you get run the risk of getting like <laughs> Guy Ritchie's sod in the stone, mm. Arthur. No. It's what? not really like that. It's oh, more kind of shite. It's, it's Tarantino. It's my tongue in cheek. We're going to argue about burgers and stuff. They call it ye oldie burger and cheese. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Say oh yeah again, motherfucker. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You're getting the vibes. You're getting the vibes. It's something that people would watch. I mean, I've watched it. It's Tarantino, and I've pretty much watched everything of his. I just struggle <laughs> exactly. to see. It. Doesn't he always direct stuff? He's written or someone else has written. Like he's not done anything like that, has he? Before, that, um, the Glorious I, Bastards was obviously created by him. That, that's not based on reality. So I mean, he didn't write exactly. Jackie Brown. He and he directed that. This yeah, but again, this that's not be, true, gonna... is it? He's, like you say, historical stuff. He's never done anything like that at all, is it? It's this always... is going to be away from the actual facts. It's, it's not factual. This is just based on it. You know what I mean? All all names in this production are fictional, but they're not. Do you know what I mean? When they have that little warning at the beginning, they're literally not. I know, but yeah, it's, it, <laughs> literally it, not based like, in on Glorious the true Bastards. story. <laughs> in Glorious Bastards, the shot um, Adolf Hitler with a machine gun loads. Do you know what I mean? That never happened. No, I know that's what I'm saying. It's going to be like that. It's going to be like that. It's going to be daft. It's going to be like I say, a black comedy drama. Like, imagine like fucking William the Bastard, like just getting onto acings and having a big. Line of cocaine and going, come on, let's go. <laughs> come well, I tell you what, let's get on the phone to Tarantino and see what he what he's doing this summer. See if Telling he's free you. to do that one. Telling you, friend of the show, Columbia would snap it up. Would snap it. Up. Film it. Film it on location in Hastings. <laughs> no, no, it's going to be filmed in like America or Canada, isn't it? <laughs> that's what they always do. So yeah, that's that's my pitch, and I I really like it. I think it's excellent. I like it too. Mm. It's surreal. Bastard sixty six. Yeah, Candy, what have you got for us? I will tell you. So I'm going to set the scene. So the starting scene. We open up in a war-torn world of an alternate 2030. Pan down from a red nuclear-scorched sky to a burnt-out and crumbling White House. In front of the White House, there's a sarcophagus of G.I. Jane, the US's finest war hero, (laughs) with a burning American flag flying behind it. As a wayward bomb drops towards the White House. A female hand punches through the roof of the sarcophagus, grabbing the bomb before it makes contact with the earth and just crushing it. And roll titles for G.I. Jane Eyre. Which, and kind of Terminator-style music in the background. So are you with me so far? Exactly. So before I properly start, I'd like to categorically state that 
in no means did I think of a title I liked and worked to film around it. And I'm 100% familiar with both G.I. Jane and Jane Eyre. Um, So yeah, this is a sort of spiritual sequel to the film G.I. Jane, starring G.I. Jane and a G.I. hijinks of being Jane. Um, Yeah. So after her, I like how she said, I, the I, film I, I is like, known for. I do like how you say war hero, but she never actually went to war in that film. I didn't see it. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I like the title. <laughs> it's a good title. I'm just I guessing know. what happens in the film. Um, so after her military training, Jane suffered an untimely death defending her country. Her body was all but destroyed. Her brain remained active. Um, given that she was an asset to the US military, her consciousness was transferred into a T-800 cell robot which gave her back her original appearance and organic-looking skin, which covered a steel wall machine underneath. And she was laid to rest with the intentions of being reactivated in times of great peril for the USA, and that day has arrived. Um, so back to the opening scene, a futuristic helicopter-style drone swoops down to pick up the now-standing robot G.I. Jane, covered in rags and everything, arms oh, still up in the air, um, and takes her off to a secret military facility. Um, she's told that the purpose of her reactivation is to travel back in time to give past leaders a glimpse into the future of what was to come and to change the trajectory trajectory towards a life of peace. Um, now, as she's being sent back through time, the military facility is stormed by the baddies, um, yet to be disclosed. I don't know who the baddies are going to be, some other country. Um, and the time machine operative is injured as he's typing in his time destination and location. <laughs> Instead of sending her back to America in 1985... The operative falls onto the keyboard and accidentally sends her back to England in 1785. So a different location as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he managed Earth to fall on the keys stick. that spelled out England. Earth does move stick. Yeah, so it's... Just, it's point, point. That's where it was. Yeah, it was where it was at the time. Exactly. Down for it. Yes, exactly. Um, so the drone that had originally picked her up is the actual time machine. And as it crashes to Earth, G.I. Jane realises something is very wrong. She's outside a manor house surrounded by fields and horses and people with English Fox. accents. Um, above the door of the manor, the name Reed is carved into the brick. Um, as she picks herself up, a man in white frilly shirt and riding britches runs towards her. She grabs him by the throat and states, I need your clothes and your horse. Um, well, this will never do, <laughs> Mr. Reed replies. We must find you ladies' garments. So they dress her up in a, an appropriately frumpy dress and bonnet and set about sort of learning her history. Um, he and Mrs. Reed, Mrs. Reed's played by Dame Maggie Smith. Um, she Obviously. immediately takes a disliking to her. Um, they sort of surmise that she must be suffering some kind of terrible amnesia of the, or brain disease and set about teaching her the ways of living as a modern 1700s lady of the country. Um, so Mr. and Mrs. Reed, who ask her to refer to them as aunt and uncle, decide to send her to Lowood Institution, which is a mental institution for women, after Jane continually tries to fix a time machine and steals items from the house and tries to put it back together. And Mrs. Reed is obsessed with foiling her plans and abuses her and berates her whenever she can and generally tries to prevent her from exploring the house further or making any mention or attempt to fix a time machine. So this, um, they call it a school. The school is run by the nefarious Dr. Brocklehurst, who takes a particular interest in her and her so-called ramblings. Um, during her time at the Lowood um, institute or school she suffers uh, oppression which kind of takes her back brings her back memories of her training as a GI during her time in the institution institution she slowly learns what it is to be a woman in these times and her role and how to blend in during the nights she sneaks out to work on the time machine stealing items from Lowood institution that might help fix the machine and send her to the correct time 
The school has a suspiciously large science department for a girls' school and there seems to be many blocked-off doors that no one seems to know where they lead. (laughs) One night while experimenting with ammonium chloride, a chemical reaction goes wild and creates an instant ice within like a 10-metre radius, directly in line with a young man riding his horse. The horse slips and ice throwing the rider off. Jane helps him back onto his horse and learns his name is Mr. Rochester. The two of them often sneak out to meet each other at the time machine and form a strong romantic bond. Meanwhile... She's a robot. <laughs> meanwhile, several unexplained goings-on have it's been occurring in the Lowood Institute, such as strange laughter coming from behind the blocked doors, random, act, uh, random attacks on other inmates, and a mysterious fire in the room Mr. Rochester was hiding out in that night. Jane manages to save Mr. Rochester from the fire, and then there's a 15-minute sex scene. Uh, like in Team America, minutes. <laughs> so it's, it's it, like a Terminator One. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a montage of the two of them bonking and sort of working on the time machine together until it's. Sort I believe of... when it, when it's a man on machine, it's called clanking. Oh God, clanking! Yes, <laughs> fifteen minutes of clanking. <laughs> so so they work together. So the time machine's almost fixed, basically. In between bonks, clanks, clanks. Um, sometime later, Doctor Brocklehurst gives Jane the news that Mrs. Reed has had a stroke and that she's needed back at the house. Dr. Brocklehurst gives her a lift in his horse-drawn carriage. When she gets to the house, she's greeted by Mrs. Reed, who is in a fully weaponized mech suit, who reveals that she's also a robot. (laughs) Sent from the future to stop her getting the message back to the 80s. Put her down, you bitch. Now, Dr. Brocklehurst has been in on it the entire time. um, And Lowood Institution is actually a secret secret military facility that was sent back about 10 years before Jane arrived to get everything set up to stop her. <laughs> Why? So Mr. Rochester, meanwhile, so they're, they're traveling back to see Mrs. Reed. Uh, Mr. Rochester, meanwhile, he sneaked onto the back of the carriage as it, as it was traveling and discovered that the carriage itself was some kind of transformer like mech type thing. Um, he recognized the nice. onboard computer from his time helping Jane fix a time machine. Um, and in the time it took them to travel back to the manor, he'd tinkered with the computer and secretly programmed to do his and Jane's will. So as Dr. Brocklehurst and Mrs. Reed reveal their true identities, Mr. Rochester sends one of the horses out to kick Dr. Brocklehurst in the head, killing him instantly. Mr. Rochester then takes control of the mech to fight alongside Jane. So he's in the mech, Jane's a robot, and then they're both fighting against uh, Mecha Reed. So it all kicks off, basically. They have the upper hand, Mrs. and they're about to win. Mrs. Reed initializes a self-destruct sequence. So she knows she's going to die anyway. So it's like a projectile. It sends her body hurtling towards, smashing towards Jane. Mr. Rochester jumps in the way and he's he's killed, basically. Jane screams, no, because now she knows what it is, how it how you love like a human. She's, she's humanized. Basically Kyle Reese, isn't it? Exactly. I know so, now why you love. That's exactly, yeah, no that's what she smile. said. So Mr. Rochester is dead, but the battle is won. <laughs> um, Jane turns to Mecca Reed and discovers that the missing chemicals she needs to travel through time are there in the mech suit. She takes it along with Mr. Rochester's body and fixes the time machine. She travels back to the moment the wrong time is programmed into the time machine and she kills all the baddies. And then they create a, bo- a robot body for Mr. Rochester and together they travel back to 1985 where they should have been in the first place to warn them that war is coming. And then they live happily ever after. So, I want this to be directed by Michael Bay, and it's starring Kristen Stewart as G.I. Jane Eyre, Colin Firth as Mr. Rochester, bit of an age gap, we don't mind, she's a robot, 
Dame Maggie Smith as Mecca Reed and Patrick Stewart as Dr. Brocklehurst. And the budget's maybe mm. 120 million. I don't know about film budgets. Is it a, is it a Paramount film? Um, no, I'm going to say it's, uh, it's going to be an asylum film. But it's serious, yeah, though. So well. It's not a piss take. Oh, no. Don't know. No. Of course not. I have questions. G.I. Jane Eyre. Are you having a laugh? I have questions about your sanity, Gary. <laughs> um, you're only now asking about what my sanity. What are you smoking? Why did they bother sending something back in pre- a military. Pre- preparation for her to land in 1700? Yeah, how does Because they, they knew it was going to happen, you see, because the baddies took over and they saw that she'd gone back to that time and oh, they couldn't take the risk. A note. So they took it. They sent them back 10 years before. If they just, if they just left her there. How does it work like that? Well, no, because they knew that she was a she's a, she could have built a time machine again. She's a robot. She knows her shit. Oh, God. I think I think the correct answer is candy, so the plot can happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just because because plot. I think you smoke too much reefer, mate. <laughs> I have to say that might have been involved whilst I was thinking of the uh, story. Genuinely, it was brilliant. Lay off the amazing, devil's lettuce. <laughs> so surreal. <laughs> She's li- well, the best I- films are. I know how your bra- I, I, know, I know how your brain works. You're like that. Tooting on your devil, lettuce. G.I. Jane Eyre. Now, let's make a film out of that. <laughs> that was it. That is exactly what happened. Jesus Christ. But you can't say it's not a good film. I mean, I would watch sometimes it. the devil's lettuce. I would watch it just so, so ba- watched it. Battle-hardened veteran. G.I. Jane wasn't a battle-hardened veteran, and that's the main part Yeah, but she of the is film. at this point. She's, oh, been, yeah. she's been through been wars now. Since... She trained as a G.I. She got sent out. <laughs> she's seen shit. <laughs> you don't know what's happened in the meantime. I do. I've seen the film. <laughs> No, in the after, after the film. Yeah, you don't know what happens at the end, clearly. She becomes G.I. Jane. She does shaves her hair off. Yes, so does. it wouldn't be... It would have been to she me tries more again. Because Christian Stewart no, probably with it. about we're... eight when that came out. Yeah. It's coming out now. Well, say my film's coming out now. She, so she's... She does she, rock her She still she has to look young because she? she's a robot. She rocks her skin. Yeah. Yeah, she does. She rocks her skin out. She, she still has to look young because she's been a robot for the last, like, And she, she acts years a bit like a robot, doesn't she? Exactly. It's perfect. I've seen that last Twilight film. <laughs> <laughs> you say wow. that so accusingly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was... The sad thing is I've seen Twilight and not G.I. Jane. <laughs> yeah, that is a sad thing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal, Caddy. Love it. <laughs> Thank you. We need posters made up for all these films. Especially I've got a poster of mine. I was going to drop it on the day of the episode. Biggie. Biggie, biggie, biggie. Okay, guys. Let's hear what you've got. I'm so sorry Is it for on this. A cruise ship, biggie. Bear with me. <laughs> okay, so setting the scene, the movie's about to start. The Capcom logo pops up on the screen. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Picture the scene. A picturesque Japanese background. As a drone flies across a busy metropolis of Tokyo, weaving in between business districts and shops, bustling with people until we fly past these suburbs and eventually pan across mountains and hills until we come across a calm lake with beautiful blossom trees aligned along the way. Hold on. Muted my phone. The end. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks for watching. Um, and as the the drone, the helicopter with the camera flies across the lake, 
comes across and pans down onto three figures below in a small outlook of the woods. I know where we're going. Jen is observing a sparring match between two young boys, Ryu and Ken, as the camera (laughs) zips in and out of the boys as they block, punch and kick in symmetry. And as the fight goes on with all the cameras zooming in and out of all the punches and kicks, the boys start to age until we come to present day. Jen steps in with words of wisdom, instructing the critique in each one until it becomes a grudge fight, as each one wants to be the better than the other. Suddenly, during the fight, Ken decides to perform an Hadouken out of nowhere. Ryu quickly moves in to counter with his own. The two balls of energy clash and explode into the Street Fighter logo. Of course it is. We have Street Fighter, World Warriors, the movie. Okay? <laughs> yes. So, my cast... Round one. <laughs> you have Iko Uwai. I hope that's how you pronounce his name. As Ryu. Now, you're going to have to bear with me on this because I struggle to think of anyone that could look like Ken Masters who can do martial arts in movies. So I did a bit of research, and it turns out that Ryan Philippe, of all people, is a martial artist and has a belt. <laughs> he also hasn't done a film in ages, has he? But he's at 60 now. No, he's not, actually. He's one year younger than me. Um, thanks very much. 47. Oh, 60 wow. then. Shut up. <laughs> this is the guy from Cruel Intentions, isn't it? It is. So 47-year-old Ryan Philippe is paying... 20-year-old Gerald Ken. No, they're, they're, Ken they're older. They're a bit older. Oh, okay, okay. So, <laughs> round two. <laughs> Street fight of the retirement years. <laughs> you've got Sagat. You've got The Rock. We've got, oh, yes. We've I'm got Vega, Timothy Chalamet. We have Chan Lee yeah. as Yanin Zheja. She is, uh, if you don't know who she is, she's a, a martial artist. She's awesome. Thai, I think. Uh, Akuma is Dave Bautista. <laughs> Jen is Jackie Chan. Obviously. Zangief is played by, I uh, don't know where I'm going to go with this name. It's uh, Hapor Julius Bjornsson from The Man Mountain from Game of the Thrones. Mountain. Thor. Um, yeah. Guile is played by Channing Tatum. Of course he is. M. Bison is Michael Fassbender. He's busy. He's busy on Bastard 66. <laughs> I was going to have Blanco <laughs> in, and I was going to have Andy Serkis do all the acting of him being a bit of a creature. <laughs> and then yes. you'd have a martial nice. artist obviously doing all the moves, but I couldn't work him into the story, so he's not actually in the story. <laughs> uh, Dowsing was going to be Canal Nainar from um, uh, The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Who's that? In- Raj from The Big yeah, Bang yeah. Theory and fucking Street Fighter. You need somebody that looks... <laughs> Anyway, so then you've got to go. You've got Kamal Nanjinani or someone like that. Yeah, who's got, who's got action hero training for Eternals, <laughs> which I haven't seen. <laughs> you'd be fucking ripped in that. Well, I haven't seen it. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. Anyway, should we go back to the story? So, Dev from Coronation Street as Dal Sim. <laughs> Ridiculous, so, mate. As we as we return to the fighters on the ground, both were not back from the explosion, exhausted. Jen comes over, angry at the two for losing their focus and using the dangerous skills that they've learnt, tells them he is now too old for this. He feels that although they have mastered the art, they have not learnt the common sense and warns them of the dangers of these powers. He tells them to leave. Um, He's done with this. The two apologise. He asks them both to leave and only return when they have the true meaning of being a master. 
They collect their belongings and begrudgingly leave. They say their goodbyes to each other and go separate ways. Ken heads back to the States for fame and fortune. Royu says that he's not interested and wants to follow a different path. Then Q, a TV advert promoting the World Warriors Tournament. It's been held in Vegas and it's like this pay-per-view gold. Fighters, you know, is this big, uh, massive advert going on. So you're actually watching it as if you're watching it on TV. Um, fighters from around being invited to complete to compete by Shadaloo Corporation, a media network that has connections almost everywhere. They're a bit like Apple, but not as sinister. <laughs> the combatants are not, very, uh, are not just well-trained fighters, but rich men and women from around the world who are bored with having everything and wish to prove themselves in these tournaments. Chun Li, we find out, is a police officer from China. She's entered the ring undercover to find out what happened to her father, a lawyer who has investigated the company for reasons and disappeared. Each character that we're introduced into has something to prove as we're introduced to the main cast and their basic goals. So, for example, Giles just come back from tour of duty, has no work available, sees the ad, feels like that's something he wants to go and do. Bear with me on this. Bison is obviously corrupt and the betting... Is there anything? <laughs> All right, I've got, I've got questions. But um, Bison is corrupt and betting on the fights is clearly rigged. He discovers this um, and that he's been using a business as a front to deal with even more nefarious stuff like profitable drugs, guns and money. They're all the bad stuff. Uh, my notes have just moved on. I mean on the plot from the first film, yeah? Probably. Um, Definitely. Let me have a look here. Um, while she's investigating, she's caught behind the scenes by Sagat. Um, but all of a sudden, Gal had observed her sneaking off, wondered what she was up to, follows her, manages to convince Sagat that she was in the wrong place and wrong time and manages to somehow get them away. I haven't really thought about this. She was due to fight shortly, so her pay-per-view match was changed last minute, and it turns into a cage match against Vega. It's a brutal fight, and due to some smarts, she ends up surviving the fight and takes him out. And then we have different other fights. Ken versus Lee, Gar versus E. Honda, um, all the others. Ryu and Sagat has a massive fight. Um, it turns out that Sagat's losing, so then due to his rage, he calls the henchmen to jump in and fight. Ken decides he's coming to support Ryu as well. They all end up in a big fight. Um, after the main event, uh, Chun Li opens up to Gar about what she was actually doing. He offers to try and help her. Uh, Ken and Ryu catch up. After the fight, they hear a ruckus in the hotel room, and it turns out that Chun Li is being um, arrested by Sagat and the henchmen to try and take her away from meddling in affairs. A corridor fight ensues between them. There's, there's really tight corridor fights, and in the hotel room, all really cool. When they come back, we're introduced to Bison. He accuses Chun Li of meddling in affairs that don't concern her because everyone loves a good meddling. Um, he and reveals levitate me. that he killed her father. <laughs> Chunny accuses him of the corruption, which he not only accepts, but goes on to explain how he's become so powerful and yada, yada, yada. All the fights are rigged. The fights, <laughs> fighters are threatened with blackmail or their families are kidnapped to ensure the results are as they are so that everybody makes big money behind the scenes. They're shown <laughs> Giles, Buddy and Jen uh, are being beaten up. Um, they're told to throw the fight or they will be killed. Ryu then suddenly uses his Hadouken to break his cuffs. Ken follows suit and there turns out to be a big fight. Between everybody, Sagat, Akuma's there. A big fight, no way. Another big fight. Uh, more fighting, <laughs> lots of fights. Uh, Ryu finally breaks away, aims for Bison. As a fight. As he uh, attempts to fight Bison, Bison uses his own power, <laughs> his psycho smasher on him, and turns Ryu into evil, evil Ryu. 
Royal suddenly turns around and ends up taking oh, on God. Ken. He defeats Ken. Go. <laughs> tries to help Chun-Li to escape, and he ends up being killed by both Saga and Akuma. Um, Chun-Li tries to fight her way out, but um, ends up trying to take on as many goons as she can to escape. She gets smashed into a room. A big fight. And it turns out... <laughs> it was another big fight. Turned into a big fight. <laughs> and she stumbles into a room where she finds Jen and Charlie. And then it turns out that Charlie is revealed to be... Charlie! Donnie Yen. And then that's it. The film Charlie ends Blanca. As we, the, <laughs> <laughs> and then so, at the end, at the end, hang on, bear with me. And, and that is where it ends because it's now set up for part two, where we find out how they escape and what happens to Ken. And me. Right, mate, I you've just done the plot the to end. all the Street Fighter films. You know, there's eight Street Fighter this, films, and you've, you've just done them all together. You've just, you just mashed them all together. together. <laughs> apart from this time, apart from this time, Ryu turns bad and fights Ken Rose rather yeah. than Ken t- turning bad and fighting yeah. Ryu. <laughs> You've literally just got eight eight films also, and just turned them into your own Why film. Why did you change Gorkin to Jen? Yeah. Gorkin is their I master. I don't know. There were names that Jen is, is um, Chun-Li's father's friend. Yeah. Who's the old guy with a big long moustache? No, that's Gork. Gorkin is the, the master who trains Ryu and Ken. Oh, that's the one that I wanted. Some- <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we just made Street Fighter again. But <laughs> that's a tight the director is by Street Gareth Evans, so he knows how to do action scenes. So all these fights that happen are going to be so cool as fuck. They're all tight. They're going to be done properly. And the, the plot, no one cares about the plot, but at least it will have some form of a plot because <laughs> it's going to be all about the awesome fight scenes, which no Street Fighter it's movie the plot from has ever done. Films, isn't it? Lies. Huh? The animated manga is the best yeah. one. That's the one I've seen. Perfect. I've definitely seen that one. Um, you've seen them all by the sounds of it. I haven't. <laughs> I have, and you've just copied them all. <laughs> I haven't seen them. That's the plot to Street Fighter 4. That's the how game. easy it's clearly easy to write a Street Fighter movie plot. Yeah, you just go, they all have a big fight. They all have a big you fight. should have had a plot twist at the end, and Hey Hatchin Mishima from Tekken walks in. No, they have a big fight. they're not even connected. Or Spider Man appears, and you get Marvel vs. Capcom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I'm afraid that's Fucking what I know. But the cast is incredible. I have issues why, why with the cast. Put Channing Tatum in as, <laughs> as, as, why did you put Channing Tatum in as Gal when John Cena is right there? Because although John Cena is <laughs> a sexier. wrestler, Channing Tatum is also a trained martial artist. A trained dancer as well. Mm. I, just, I just want to see John Cena with the Because hair. the problem with anything yeah. to do with Street Fighter is that the fighting is shit. Considering it's based on a game about fighting, you want someone that can direct action movies. You want action Mate, stars. Watch all the anime ones. You can do some of them are fantastic. You can do them. So the Rock is Sagat. <laughs> Come on, mate! Seriously, how cool would that Isn't be? Sagat you know, from, Sagat's from like Sri Lanka from or Thailand. Indonesia, don't you? He's Thailand. From, that's it. Doesn't it. matter half of these actors in these movies it aren't always from the same you, place. You're bringing in Chad Tatum because he's martial arts. You can't. You can't go casting. You can't go casting American. Like Samoan men, uh, the Samoans. Rock as a t- as a Thai fighter. <laughs> well, I just have <laughs> Tiger Uppercut. You can't cast the Rock. See, in bloody... my film, I did correct Wait, that works for casting. Interpol chasing down Germans for Germans, fast cars, Africans for Africans. You know, exactly. oh yeah, no, I, I understand exactly. that, but it's really hard to find certain fighters of a certain build, a certain look to fit a certain role. You so get that's nobodies. That's how they do it. They need to fight. 
And that's why the, that's why the films are shit because the people aren't very good at acting. These people are good at what they do. I'll have you know, Van Damme, when he crashes through on his tank, you are all under arrest. That is perfect, guile. It American is guile. The worst. I'm sorry. It is the worst. That's the. I have seen that, and that sucks. Oh, and sucks. Kelly Minogue is entirely correct for Cammy. And the Legend of Chun Li. Have you seen that like film? Cammy, of course but... you have, because you just done half the plot of it. Do you know who would have? Yeah. I mean, it's not correct, like. Uh, casting in terms of um, nationality, but back, uh, do you remember Tong Po? Yeah, yeah. Like he looks like Sagat into the that fist. Film. I went... Yeah, in that film, he looks like Sagat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's Give not. Give me Tong Po. You see him now; he just doesn't look anything like that. You kill my brother. But yeah, it was all about the fighting for me. Gareth Evans is doing the the directing. It would have been an awesome, awesome action movie. For you. <laughs> I would have been happy watching that, let's be honest. I, I won't waste a cinema trip for Street Fighter 9. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you for being creative for this one, because I, I, I know I put a lot onto you, and um, that was incredible. Excellent. Like, so many different takes on how things come across, and so surreal from all of you. I love it. <laughs> what I want to know, though, Gadget, if, if our lovely listeners have got just as much creative juices as Biggie has. <laughs> they do actually. There's there's some some really surprisingly good ones in here. Better than so, Street Fighter we'll, Nine. Well, <laughs> how about you listen to this one? Because we're starting off with Planty. Uh oh. And he said, "I am Legend, except all the vampires are Peter K." <laughs> <laughs> what does he mean? Remember other room in contact. Remember when your dog weren't dead. How about the seafood man that came around the club? Will Smith takes his own, his own life ten minutes into the club. <laughs> That's funny. I'd, imagine being the last man on earth and then Peter Kay turns up. I'd hate it. Or many Peter Kays. <laughs> many horrendous. Peter Kays. That's awful. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, like, nice little insight into Planty's just, mind there. Just hear that rumble of, remember, 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 coming from the distance. <laughs> garlic bread, garlic yeah. bread. You're just walking bread. down the, the abandoned streets of New York and you say, garlic bread. Uh, bread. In his big uh, blue bread. shirt that he wears. <laughs> Get back, you bastards, I'll break your legs. That it's kind spitting. of shit. All that shit, yeah. <laughs> Get him in. That's yeah, it. they don't come out when it's raining. All the Peter Kiss running down the street going, it's spitting, running inside. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they don't come out when it rains. That's the, that's the, that's the, it's, not, no. it's not the nighttime or the daytime, it's the rain. <laughs> From the ridiculous to the sublime, uh, Lee Davies, he's changed, he's changed the tone on this one. A musical set in Blackburn where all the songs are Elvis songs. What? It's called Elvis Goes to Town. And this gets dark. <laughs> okay. It's about a mentally ill person and all the musical numbers are like flights of fancy and the protagonist is always dressed as a different version of Elvis each time. Film opens in a greasy spoon cafe. White jumpsuit Elvis singing a little less conversation. He's climbing on tables and wrecking stuff. Song finishes and the camera cuts to the, to our main character eating a depressing egg sandwich. The plot is similar to I, Daniel Blake, and the main character gets fucked over by the system and they end up killing themselves. The last song is Love Me Tender. Bloody <laughs> hell. I do. I, Don't you? I, I think having some kind of Elvis musical where you could make something out of Elvis songs Tension someone's head, or the viewing, you know, they're seeing things. Elvis songs sounds like it could work. That Elvis film yeah. should be directed by Shane Meadows, shouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a Shane Meadows film all over. 
That's fucking weird. Yeah. Something wrong with um, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you're going to like this one, Oodles, because uh, Jonathan Firth Clark has written in saying, so I have an idea. I've had an idea for a few years now for a Metroid film pitch. Oh, go on. Um, I don't have an idea oh. for a cast or a director, but I did have an idea for a story, or at least the outline of a story. This was, of course, pre-Metroid Dread, and it follows on from the American translation of Fusion, where it says Samus was on the run. Yeah. Um, and he points out, yes, that's right, it's canon into the games. No, that's, that's fucking good. So who would we cast then? Samus. If he has no now, cast, who do we cast as Samus? Samus, it's, it's Charlie's so further just, 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 just let, me, let me finish. He's got, oh. the, he's got the pitch here, and oh. then you can cast it. Okay. So my idea was all based on the marketing angle. So the film begins with Samus on the run from the Galactic Federation and getting captured. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the transport ship she's on gets attacked by space pirates, led yet again by Riley. Is Riley? Ripley. Ripley. Sorry. Read that wrong. Ripley. Ripley. Uh, it's Metroid, okay? Somehow they always come back. And then the ship crashes, and she's all alone on another planet, facing down a new Metroid threat. But this is where the marketing angle comes in. All the trailers, all the set photos, all the reports make it seem like the first 30 minutes is the whole film. You keep the second and third act a surprise from the public. This way you can have your big names in the trailer playing the Federation Marines who capture, who capture her, but the twist comes that after 25 to 30 minutes they die. And this turns into a classic Metroid-style story of with Samus on her own battling the elements, the space pirates, and yes, the Metroids. I was tossing in the idea of titling it Metroid Nemesis due to the big finale not being Samus vs. Metroid, but Samus vs. Ripley. Yeah. So it's not a fully formed idea, but I think that if the marketing is done correctly, it could work incredibly well. I like it, and it's definitely Charlize Theron as as Samus. Mm, No. In my opinion. Who are you reckoning? I'm just looking at age-wise and stuff, and I I have a choice between... Either Brie Larson or Rosa Salazar, who played Alita in Alita Battle Angel. Yeah, I did like Alita Battle Angel. I like that. I would say, I would, I would say Brie Larson. She's got the stature for mm. it. Yeah, yeah, she has. Yeah, I think that would. Yeah. Ooh, and obviously it'd be um, Chris Pratt as Ripley. Because Chris just, Pratt's in everything. Really. Obviously, I'm he surprised actually no one made that joke in any of our pictures. Made by Chris Pratt. <laughs> Chris Pratt. You should have Chris, Chris Pratt plays Saga. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Pratt as M. Bison. It's me, M. Bison. <laughs> I'm not an racist. I'm not a promise. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Kurt Lewin has, has come in with um, strap yourselves in for what I think is an incredible film idea. First up, I need to say that I have Edgar Wright on board to write and direct this film as I'm very much going for the British comedy vibe of the Cornetto trilogy. Nice. So basically, my idea is a spoof on Fast and Furious, but set in Britain with the banger boy racer cars you see driving around supermarket car parks at midnight. (laughs) We're talking old Ford Fiestas, Renault Clios and Vauxhall Corsas. The thing is, though, that the budget is just as big as a Fast and Furious film, so you have the huge set pieces and ridiculousness, but with more comedy from Edgar Wright. I don't know what the plot will be, but I'll leave that to Edgar Wright. And um, he didn't mention it in the email, but he did say the title he would have as the film would be Bangers and Crash. <laughs> oh, nice. my God, yes. I can see, <laughs> that I can has sold me. No, I can see it's like they're all, they're, they're all bombing down motorway and then they get to M25 and they're just stood still. <laughs> and that, that's a good comedy move, isn't it? But I knew it were going to be Cars because it's Kurt, but... I'm surprised you didn't think of James Bond. Oh, Another that, James Bond film. That could, that could, oh shit! Back my microphone there. Sorry. That could actually work really like a UK version of 
Yeah. Not so much well, like it, it worked it worked for Hot Fast Fuzz. and Furious. Yeah, like Parked um, and pissed off. But yeah, like no, a kind of a comedy centered around like boy races and stuff. They think that they think that they could be called penalty charge notice. Fast and it? Furious, <laughs> but no, they're not. <laughs> Double yellow. Have a nice set piece of them like launching their courser off a, off a ramp or something to smash into a speed camera so that they don't get a ticket. Yeah, and they, they, they all they all meeting up in Tesco car park and stood outside having a meal deal, and then a Cornetto turns up. Yeah, Perfect. this is Greg's heist. <laughs> they need them yum yums. God, British culture is terrible. And, and last up, we have Ray. Uh, he's saying, "I have an idea, not just not for just one movie, but a whole franchise." The idea might sound silly, but I guarantee it's 100% doable and uh, with proofs found on IMDb. It will be a Jaws film, but with a science fiction twist. A group of college students attending a swimsuit vacation on a remote island find they're being attacked by a mutated two-headed shark, hence the film title Two-Headed Shark Attack. (laughs) The movie will be packed with action-adventure thrills with a dash of unintended comedy on top. Furthermore, the cast and the production team boldly consists of new breakout actors, screenwriters, and directors, meaning you've never heard of them, mm-hmm. breathing fresh air into the shark films for the 21st century. With the well-expected success of the first movie, sequels need to be made. This time, a mutated three-headed shark happened uh, to some boat trippers, and then a starfish-like five-headed shark attack is reported, <laughs> terrorising the coast of Puerto Rico, followed by another six-headed shark attack at another island. We skipped four-headed shark attack because reasons. <laughs> all in all, this potential of the series is sound limitless. We may even be about to witness another film universe big bang into existence. <laughs> I like it. Ray, we love you. We love you so much, Ray. <laughs> I like it. I'd have called it Lots of Jaws. Lots of Jaws. Lots, lots of Jaws. jaws. Chomp. Yeah. Chomp. I do like how... Yeah, that's fucking nuts. The, <laughs> out of all of us, including the listeners, including us, Gadgets was the only serious one. Yeah. You can tell, who, you can tell who the real writer is in there, out of everyone. <laughs> Uh, I love you know. Yours is a historical piece set with by Tarantino, like full of people like Samuel Jackson, like going around saying motherfucker. But the only original one, (laughs) Gadget's just done that game I've played. Mine was the only original idea. G.I. Jane has been done before. It's called Pride and Prejudice with Zombies. No bollocks. No worry, bots. (laughs) Yeah, that was zombies. This is robots. I knew I should have gone my first. Completely different. Definitely watched the Mummy Father. What was your first choice? choice You're going to talk about in the green room. Okay, for the green room. Yeah. Come on, Pete. We'll we'll talk talk about other choices in the green room. Something I forgot. Uh, Yeah, the mailbag this week. Yeah, I'll tell I'll tell you how I I I came up with the pitch of Bastard sixty six in the green room. So yeah, uh, let's move on to the socials and what we'll be doing next week. Uh, right, socials then. You can visit our website modernescapism.co.uk. On there, you can find a link to all of our socials, contact details on our merch store. If you have any comments or feedback, you can fill out a form on our website, tweet us, or email us on modernescapismpod@gmail.com. We've got a Discord server if you'd like to join our community of listeners for a chat about the podcast and many other aspects of pop culture and escapism. Absolute filth this morning. I'm, I cannot believe what I woke up to, what I was reading. Honest to God. That was amazing. Uh, for work, Super, Natty Cat, Super Natty Cat as well, causing trouble. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, oh rather no, she's been a victim of trouble this time. Well, just... I feel like she was the instigator in this case. It's harmony. Uh, I've got some catching up to you. <laughs> don't, that was the don't. most sinister thing you've ever said. I know. Right? Got some catching up to do. 
Um, Twitch, <laughs> twitch.tv slash modern escapism. Um, you can find all, all of our playthroughs. Um, the best place to find out of our schedule or um, if we decide to do like a surprise stream is to keep an eye on Twitter or Discord. Uh, we up all, we upload all of our playthroughs and all of our podcasts onto YouTube. Um, so if you'd like to see us rather than just listen to us, you can find us on youtube.com forward slash modern escapism. Um, we've spoken about the Patreon. So if you'd like to throw us a bit of money so that we can carry on bringing you extra content and for a whole load of extra like bonus content for yourself, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash modern escapism. And if you want to support us in a non-financial way, please leave us a five-star review wherever you can. And it's always appreciated. Next week, we are doing One Season Wonders. So that's TV series where we've just had the one season and it's it's a bit another another one and done. That will be an episode. Thank you very much for that. Um, and I think that's it for this uh, episode for you non-paying listeners. So thank you very much and good night. Hadouken. You're a fucking Hadouken, you <laughs> bell-end, Street Fighter 9. What a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs>